Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tobias Harris gets both free throws and the Sixers force Game 7. Both series in the Eastern Conference semifinals are headed to a Game 7. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly on this Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. Um, my first Father's Day, so uh, not not much of a relaxing Father's Day. I'll be working tonight. I'll be back on tomorrow after the game, and obviously we will all be dealing with a lot of stress tomorrow night when the Sixers and Hawks play Game 7 at the Wells Fargo Center. The Sixers do get the Game 6 win in Atlanta to force a Game 7 back on their home floor. Now, I was on Thursday night. As I told you Thursday night, I did not think we were going to see a Game 7. After what happened in Game 5, what happened in Game 4, the Sixers blowing two massive leads. Um, especially the one in Game 5 was was the worst blown lead I've I've seen until what we saw last night, which which was worse, and we'll get to that later on. But uh, the Sixers find a way to win games uh, to win Game Six in Atlanta, despite not playing very well. It was not a, an a, a, an impressive performance from the Sixers. Um, you know, Ben Simmons continues to just look completely lost, completely disinterested in doing anything on the offensive side of the floor. Uh, But Tobias Harris steps up a little bit, uh, for one night at least. The Sixers able to get another strong performance from Seth Curry, even though Joel Embiid, you know, did not look great. He still was obviously, I think, bothered by the knee. I think emotionally, he was down after Game 5, but the Sixers find a way to get a win on a night where the Atlanta Hawks, you know, failed to put them away. And now the Sixers need to make them pay for it. And we will obviously preview this game all show. And I want your calls, I want your feelings going into this critical Game 7 on Sunday night. A game in which I believe in many ways is the biggest the Sixers have played in the last 20 years. I really do. When you think about everything that's at stake 
everything that's involved, this game is so critical. And, you know, you can look back at the 2012 Game 7 against the Celtics. I would argue that is nowhere close to this. Um, In terms of meaning, you know, as far as the spot in the playoffs, yeah, it would say it's exactly the same. But let's face it, that team, if they had won that game, it would not have mattered. They would have gotten destroyed by the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that would have been the end of the season. And that team obviously had a ceiling on them, and getting to that point was was a miracle in its own right. Sure, the Game 7 against the Raptors two years ago, you can argue, was just as big, if not bigger, considering the far-reaching effects of that game. Because there were far-reaching effects of that game. If the Sixers win... It could have changed the direction and the future of the franchise for sure. You win that game the way everything played out, you know, maybe you beat the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe you beat a Warriors team that was completely, you know, broken at that point with Kevin Durant and that Achilles uh, ready to go at any second. And then the Clay Thompson injury. That team was completely out of gas. And if you win that Game 7, maybe that stuff happens. Then who knows? Maybe Jimmy Butler comes back. And the direction of this franchise changes forever. But that is all speculation. The Sixers very easily as well could have just won that game, gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost to the Bucs, and everything could have played out the exact same way that it did anyway. The, The bottom line is nobody knows. But this game to me is so much bigger because of what it means in terms of the DNA of this team. They lost that game in Toronto, but it wasn't some awful disappointment in terms of losing a series you should win. Toronto was favored going into that series, and while the loss stung and how they went down with that shot bouncing off the rim four times, was brutal and will haunt Sixers fans forever, it's a different kind of disappointment than this would be. With how we even got to this point where the Sixers should have wrapped this thing up in five games. I mean, this would be a collapse and a failure of epic proportions if the Sixers cannot finish this thing off. When you look at game four, a blown lead on the road, you come out of halftime asleep, and you allow Atlanta back in that game. You allow them to steal that one at home. Game five, one of the most inexplicable losses you will ever see when the Sixers get up that much. They, again, kind of fall asleep. The offense goes completely stagnant. Tobias Harris has one of the worst games we've ever seen. Ben Simmons is a complete no-show again, and the Sixers fall down 3-2, to two, those are both games they, they certainly should have won. Like, this series should have been over in five games. And if the Sixers are not able to get off the mat and win this series, it would be completely devastating and a different kind of devastating than the loss was to the Raptors and Kawhi two years ago. 
it would tell you a lot about the heart of this team. About the guts of this team and the future of this team. And, you know, regardless of what happens with the roster after the season, and I'm sure we'll discuss that a lot in the coming weeks, whether the Sixers win on Sunday night, lose on Sunday night, whether they win the Eastern Conference Finals, lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, we will talk about the future of the roster, the future of Ben Simmons, and where this team goes from here. But now is not the time for that discussion. But if you lose this game, and you lose this series, at home, in a Game 7, with the way the Sixers have blown games so far, it would be a complete disaster. It would be a complete embarrassment. And it's something the Sixers cannot allow to happen under any circumstances. And while we'll compare it to the importance of the Toronto game from two years ago, it is more important. And it is a game that, you know, for the future of this franchise, for the future of of Joel Embiid, for the future of this team, they must find a way to win. Because if they lose it, it's going to have massive effects on this organization moving forward. And I don't I honestly don't know where they'd go from here. Because it wouldn't be as simple as just trading Ben Simmons and, you know, coming back with a different group and hopefully it works next year. The Sixers are better than the Atlanta Hawks. And I know we've said it a ton of times during this series. And it's not just Homer, you know, you want to believe that talk. It is true. The Sixers, I fully believe are the better team. You watch these games, the Sixers have been the better team for like 75% of this series. And if they cannot close this thing out, if they cannot beat this Atlanta Hawks team, it would tell you a lot about where they are moving forward, about the true core of this team, and about you know what they have inside of them. It would tell you a lot about their mental makeup, and it would tell you a lot about their toughness. And it's something the Sixers, as an organization, cannot allow to happen. For this Atlanta Hawks team that is pretty much a one-man show with Trey Young, and, you know, they have some nice players. Collins is a nice player. Capella, at times, can be a nice player. Bogdanovich, uh, we don't know his status, um, for this game. If Bogdanovich is out, that is honestly a a pretty big loss for Atlanta. But this is not a team this Sixers team should lose to. Even with Simmons disappearing, even with Tobias Harris being unreliable at times, even with Joel Embiid as hampered as he is by the knee injury right now, this is not a team the Sixers can lose to. And this is not a series that they can afford to lose. And as we look at this game, and I want your thoughts on whether the Sixers will win this game, I am nervous about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I have my concerns, absolutely. And I think Sixers fans, I'd be shocked if Sixers fans didn't have concerns the way some of these games have been lost so far. But I'm picking the Sixers because I feel like if there's if there is anything inside of this team, 
if there is anything there as far as as heart and toughness and DNA, they will win this game because they need to win this game more than the Atlanta Hawks do. If the Hawks lose, they they go into this offseason and they spin it as, you know, we had a good year, we got to the second round, we took Philly seven games, and this is something they can build off moving forward. The Sixers aren't in that position at all. If the Sixers lose this game, it's a disaster. And it would cause you to question the head coach. And it would cause you to question Embiid. And it would cause you to question everything that we've seen with this organization. Because as we know in this league, it does not matter what you do in the regular season. All that matters is how you perform in the playoffs. And this might be simplifying things here. But I'm picking the Sixers solely because I think they need to win this game more. And because they have more at stake as an organization than the Atlanta Hawks do. And if they do not win, if they they get outplayed, if they get out-hustled, if they get beaten by the Atlanta Hawks, it would make me lose so much confidence in even the parts of this organization that I am confident in. Because... This is a team they should beat, and losing this series would be a disaster. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. But I want your thoughts on anything Sixers-related tonight. This is obviously a big day um, for this organization. I think it's the biggest game in 20 years. Uh, so I want your thoughts on that as well. Um, because a lot, so much of this team's future is dependent on what happens Sunday night. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's get it started on the phones with Austin in Jersey. What's up, Austin? Hey, how are you? What's going on? So, Simmons, so my boy was at the game, and uh, he saw Simmons literally come out of the locker room at halftime, shoot at least 30 free throws, Missed about two of them. Mm-hmm. And then come out in in the second half and, and literally goes 0 for 4. Yeah, I mean, Austin, he's he's a guy who is shot mentally. And I don't know where, how exactly this got to this point, but he's, he's, a, he's a disaster mentally. He's not a mentally tough player. He's just not. No. No, not at all. He, it like it literally just shows you how of a mental game this is. Yeah, no, there, there's no doubt about Austin. Sorry, there's some noise in the background there, but yeah, I mean, and and we can talk about Ben Simmons if you want to. Um, and I honestly am astonished there are still people defending him, and I defended him for a long time. But this regression, it's incredible. I mean. He doesn't even want to play offense. He doesn't even want the ball. There was a moment in game five where they're going to foul him. He threw the ball out of bounds. Like, they fouled him before he did it, but the, he was trying to commit a turnover before getting fouled. And I think, you know, people who still defend Ben Simmons just are choosing not to see reality. Like... You can look at the fact, um, you know, that he has never been a, 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 you know, a multifaceted offensive player, and I obviously see that, and and I think everybody sees that, but 
this is something completely different. This isn't just, oh, Ben's not shooting. Ben's not doing anything offensively now. Like, he's not going to the basket. He's not trying uh, to attack the rim. He's not doing anything offensively. And his regression is, is astonishing. And, I mean, it's just pretty clear. Like, the playoffs in the NBA especially reveal what players truly are. It's it, it's a sport where, you know, you look at the regular season and your accomplishments in the regular season uh, uh, don't really mean a lot in the grand scheme of things. What matters and what's revealing is what you do in the playoffs. Ben Simmons is showing this postseason. He is not a mentally tough player. He is not even trying at this point to overcome his flaws. He's basically just succumbed to them. Like, Ben Simmons is... I think resigned to the fact that he can't make free throws. Like last night, it seemed like he was trying to foul out intentionally. That's how bad it was. And I think Ben Simmons was relieved at the six and a half minute mark when Doc Rivers took him out of that game. He doesn't want to be at the free throw line any more than we want him at the free throw line. And as far as him, like when I look at this Sixers team, when I look at game seven, I don't even, I honestly, I don't even care about Simmons. I take him out of the equation because he is he's already failed us. And I'm not going to rely on him. Like, Ben Simmons, whatever people can uh, tell you what he does defensively. And I thought Kyle Newbeck for the Philly Voice had a great line in his story where he said, you know, uh, don't let Ben Simmons piss on the floor and tell you it's raining. And that's exactly what it is. Like, because uh, all the Ben defenders will go and they talk about his defense and stuff like that. First of all, his defense in this series hasn't been great either. I mean, watching him in Game 6, he was not doing a very good job on Trey Young in Game 6. And I, I think this is an indictment on both Simmons and Embiid to a degree is they both in Game 6 looked like, you know, if if they had lost that game, like they were kind of not going to be heartbroken by it, that they knew if they lost that game, that would be their last time playing together. And I don't think either of them would have been that bothered because I think it's pretty clear at this point. They don't think that the other one is good for them, which I think from Ben's perspective is absurd. And Bede has a legitimate point, even though he needs to be mentally tougher than he's been. Um, and then he was in, ga- in game six because that effort wasn't good enough. But Ben Simmons, I mean, I kind of discount him at this point. I know he's going to fail. I know he doesn't want the ball. I know he's not going to step up. But it's on the other guys, mainly Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid needs to step up big in this game, and he needs to win it for the Sixers. Obviously, he need help, but Embiid needs to lead the way. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Jimmy, Gary, Kevin, we will get all you guys in the next segment when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you on a Sunday morning. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, with you on a Sunday morning, morning of what I think is the biggest Sixers game in the last 20 years. Now, you know, there is a debate for the Toronto game two years ago, certainly, because of everything involved, you know, Jimmy Butler's future, how do things change if the Sixers win that game? But this one, in my mind, is is just so much bigger because what it tells you about the core of this team. You know, what it tells you about what you truly have in this organization 
and what it tells you in terms of heart. Because on paper, this series should not even be going to a Game 7. Uh, the Sixers came out of halftime two games in a row, Game 4 and Game 5. They thought Atlanta was going to roll over. And to the Hawks' credit, they didn't. They came back fighting. The Sixers weren't ready for it. And they lost those two games. Um, but they've been given a reprieve here. I mean, they they played well enough in Game 6. It was one of those great wins. It's been such an odd series where Game 6, you can argue, like, from start to finish, it may have been the worst game the Sixers have played in this series overall. Like, they did not do a lot right in that game. But, you know, Atlanta didn't play well. And you're in a situation where you're able to bring this series uh, back to Philadelphia, and now you need to win a Game 7. You need to find a way to get this done. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Maybe this is not a good rationale for picking a game. But a lot of these Game 7s do come down to who's more desperate and who is going to get those 50-50 balls and and who is going to, uh, you know, Go that extra mile to win this game. And in the end, I just think the Sixers have so much more at stake going into this game seven than the Atlanta Hawks do. And it's why I think they're going to get it done. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Let's go to Jimmy and Mount Holly. What's up, Jimmy? Yeah, Tom, first of all, happy Father's Day, your first Father's Day with young Thomas. Um, I was listening to the crossover with you and Ricky, and I was trying to decide what the best time for Ricky to call in tomorrow night. I came up with 2.20, because that's when you first gave out the phone number for tonight. I mean, Tom, since Nate McMillan has taken over this team, you saw what they did. You saw what they did to the Knicks, and you saw, most notably, what's gone on in six six games in the series. Uh, what is exactly Cinderella about this team? Well, well, I mean, they got one player, Jimmy. I mean, I don't think Atlanta has a whole lot more than Trey Young. I think on paper, you don't think on paper the Sixers should win this game and win this series easily? I mean, I look at this series and I think 75% of the time the Sixers have been the better team on the floor. They should have won games four and games five, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I do think this is a series and this is a game the Sixers should win. That being said, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I, I absolutely think Sixers should win Game 7. Well, you just said on paper. I would agree if this was the decathlon in the Olympics. I mean, this is basketball. I mean, who has played at least equally to the other team in this series? Now, you were mentioning the players on the Hawks. Well, they got Trey Young and they got a few nice players. Let's look at what we got going into the seventh game here. We got Joel Embiid on a torn meniscus. We both agree that Simmons is cooked as far as this series. I'm not saying yeah, for his I know. whole career. Jimmy, I, I, when I think of this team, I honestly, I'm so, I'm so done with Simmons. I don't hold out any hope for him anymore. I just know he's going to come up small. And let's talk about Tobias Harris. I mean, we can either get the Tobias Harris that looked like Kevin Durant in the first game against the Washington Wizards, or we can get the same Tobias Harris that we saw run and hide like Ben Simmons. So that takes care of him. So to me, you got basically Joel Embiid, who, and you have Seth Curry. So, I mean, I don't see where we have this wonderful personnel advantage going into the seventh game. Now, this is what well, I well, told part of, part of it, Jimmy, part of it is... 
I am relying on Tobias Harris, and we'll see. Like this game, and that's the thing. Like this game, I feel like is going to reveal a lot about a lot of people. And Tobias Harris is one of those people. I don't know what to expect. We could get the game five Tobias. We get the game six Tobias. But we will learn truly what Tobias Harris is tonight. Now you saw the Brooklyn Milwaukee game. I'm sure, right? Yes, unbelievable game. A flat-out snooze fest compared to what we're going to get tonight. This game is going to go into overtime, and it's going to end on either one of two scenarios. It's going to end on a Joel Embiid buzzer beater or a missed open look by Trey Young. Tom, I know you gamble a bit, and you know what I do when that is concerned. If you, I'm going to get a proposition bet that just this game just goes into overtime. I mean, I'm going to get a huge price on it. The Sixers, I think, are going to win. I really believe that. I mean, I, I, I it's just there's much more at stake. You're 100 percent right. I mean, first of all, against Toronto, even if they won that game, I mean, Golden State was still looming, and, and plus, we didn't know at that time that, it, that uh, we were going to lose uh, who did they lose Duran and Clay Thompson so right. I mean this is way bigger I mean this is going to be devastating and and the process will be officially like shoveled dirt shoveled over the process if they were to, to lose this game but I don't think they will I, I think they're going to come out of this by the skin of their rumps yeah well I hear you Jimmy and I, I I hope to talk to you tomorrow after the game I appreciate the call and I it is going to be revealing and, and as we talked about it you know, with Tobias Harris, this game's going to tell you a lot about Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is a tremendous player. And we all know what he has done this year was incredible. He is an MVP quality player. And during the regular season, he was the best player in the league. Like, he didn't win the MVP because of the lack of games played. But during the regular season, Joel Embiid was the most dominant player in the NBA when he was on the floor, no doubt about it. But we talk about it all the time with this sport, and where your legacy is determined is in the playoffs. Like, you think of guys like James Harden and Chris Paul and Paul George. What always gets brought up first? Is it their regular season accomplishments? Is it James Harden's scoring titles? James Harden's MVPs? You know, um, Chris Paul is a top five point guard of all time. Uh, You know, no, none of that gets brought up first. Everything that gets remembered is from what they do in the playoffs. And you bring up Chris Paul, you bring up Harden, Paul George, playoff chokers. They're guys who have not gotten it done in the postseason. And fair or not, If the Sixers lose that game, that is something that is going to go on the resume of Joel Embiid, whether it's fair or not. And you look at Brooklyn, obviously you need some help because you look at that game, and we'll talk more about that game coming up, but that game on Saturday night, as great as Kevin Durant was, you need some assistance. Because his shot at the end, his shot's late. You could tell he had no legs. Him and Harden both played all game. And, and you know, for a guy in James Harden who we've talked about as not being tough, that was a pretty gutty performance from James Harden. He's clearly not right. He played every second of that game, as did Kevin Durant. And what you see is you need some help. 
And Joel Embiid, yes, he's going to need some help. Tobias Harris is going to need to play a lot more the way he played in Game 6 than the way he played in Game 5. Seth Curry's going to need to knock down shots again. You're going to need guys like George Hill knocking down shots and guys like Maxi. As I said, I don't even care about Simmons anymore. I mean, to hell with him offensively. He let him defend, let him do all the things that he says he's so great at. The guy's a zero offensively. He's not going to give you anything. You're playing four on five. And I understand why that would frustrate Joel Embiid. Because you look at game six, Joel Embiid was, was, didn't look good. And I don't just mean in terms of his play. His body language was bad. Um, he, you could tell he was frustrated. And honestly, I don't blame him after what happened in Game 5. And he looks, and he looks around after Game 5, and he sees Ben, and he sees Tobias totally letting him down. I'd be frustrated too. But while it's understandable for him to be frustrated, having bad body language and not being a leader, it's not acceptable. It's understandable, but it's not acceptable. Because the lack of help he's gotten from those guys, and especially Simmons has got to make him crazy. But he needs to understand going into this game that he is the leader of this team. And they feed off his body language. Like, they do. You look at Game 5, the first half. A lot of the reason the team had energy is because Joel was dominating. And they take their cues from him. And in the second half, when things start to get tight, you know, Joel's body language kind of drops a little bit. The team can sense that, and the team kind of follows suit. And this is a game that Joel Embiid needs to dominate. He needs to. And in many ways, like you're going to need, obviously, other contributions. But in a lot of ways, this game is going to come down to Joel Embiid versus Trey Young. I mean, they're the two best players on the floor. And whoever, you know, I guess kind of dictates the flow of the game more because Trey Young is as small as he is. He can kind of control the game the way he plays when he gets in the paint, gets up those floaters, shoots from the outside, you know, because uh, people could talk about Ben all they want. Ben really, for 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 for, for the defensive player of the year, I haven't seen a massive uh, impact defensively from him in this series. Joel Embiid's the best player defensively on this team. And Joel Embiid's got to be better than Trey Young. And he needs to dominate down the stretch more than Trey Young. And it's tough because they can double cover him because they they do have a player on offense that the Sixers, you know, don't demand be covered. It's tough down the stretch when they can just put two bodies on Joel Embiid because Ben doesn't need to be defended. The Hawks know he's not going to the basket because they know he doesn't want to get fouled. Um, And it's got to be frustrating, but he needs to find a way to overcome that. And he needs to lead, even if things aren't totally going his way. Even if he's not getting calls. Even if some of the shots aren't going down. Joel Embiid needs to understand tomorrow or later tonight that he is the leader. And he needs to lead this team on the floor. Um, Because if he doesn't, and he starts getting frustrated, and the body language starts to go downhill, you see the tangible effect on the rest of the team. They always take their cues from Embiid, and and he needs to understand that going into this game. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Gary in Bridesburg. What's up, Gary? Hey, good morning. How's it going? 
Um, now, oh, it's going great, man. You know, I, I, I think I watched all game five the other night and they're up 20 points. What I didn't like was when they set up their plays and guys got in position to where, you know, they like to shoot from, um, if you're not involved in that, somebody gets the ball, you need to go to the basket and have a second chance because it was one and done, one and done, one, you know, they, they missed a lot of shots there. Uh, uh, ben Simmons missed nine foul shots. That's just unacceptable. Yeah, no, no, Gary. I mean, this Simmons. I, I just, I honestly, I, I find love it the way odd. the guy plays. But, you but that's know, the thing. That's the thing, though. I'm past that. A, I don't. He's not aggressive enough going to the basket. But that's the so thing. I don't. I, well, I don't love the way he plays. Like I, I don't love anything about the way he plays. Well, this is what I see for the last five minutes on the court. I see Maxi, Tybull, Curry and beating Tobias. You know, you got two young guys that are fearless. Ty Bull plays great defense. He can guard he can guard young. Well, I mean, you're going to you're going to need to have more at times. Yeah, I mean, and if you uh, this is the problem, Gary, if you need to pull Simmons off the floor, you obviously need to play Thibel because you have nobody else who can guard Trey Young. No. No, no. I I think that those are the guys and and you can put Shake Milton in there in the mix. You know, he he can get hot for you too. Yeah, I mean, Shake Milton, I think you have to he's the kind of guy you have to have an extremely quick hook with because you can tell very early in a game. Shake you Milton either has it or he doesn't. Or not, right? right. Right. And he either really has it and he can be really useful or he's going to be awful and you can well, usually tell immediately. The old guys can't check out on this game, man. This this is all, you know, I got to look at it for all the marbles and you're going to move on. And I'm excited. I mean, like every game, you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah. No. It hasn't been a runaway by any means. Not really. No, they've all been pretty pretty tight. And I appreciate the call, Gary. Thanks. And, you know, this is a game where, honestly, and these games, mainly they are about the stars. And the stars need to put you in position, but you do need, do need the help of the role players. And I don't know, Dan, I'm – this is the kind of game where you do miss a guy like Danny Green. Like, I would feel a, a lot better if Danny Green was suited up. Just a guy that knows how to play in these kind of big moments. Well, that's why you go get Danny Green, right? Like, for these types of games. Right. He's obviously been on a number of title teams recently with the Raptors, with the Lakers. I think their loss of Danny Green has kind of been underrated in this season. Obviously, it was ridiculous that he was guarding Trey Young to start in this series. Like, that's asking too much of him at this age, but, and he hadn't been shooting great, but he still is a guy you would rather have on the floor just because you don't know what you're getting in a guy like a shake Milton. You're right. You can tell very, very quickly whether you're getting something from him or not. Tyrese Maxey was a large reason why we're playing a game seven here. You can't bank on him coming in and giving you 25, 30 strong minutes in a game seven when he's 20 years old. And you know what? If he doesn't, I can't blame him because again, he's 20 years old. And the only reason why he's filling in there is because the number one overall pick and a max money player in Ben Simmons can't give you anything offensively. Right now. Now do we know what's going on with Bogdanovich for them? Because that's a, if, if he's he listed can't as questionable, play, I believe if he can't play, that's a really big loss. Like usually questionables in a game seven, like usually he, it's a wheel guys on stretchers to not right. play. So I would be surprised if he doesn't, but it's not 
look, it is a big loss. You're right. Yeah. And the fact that they haven't had DeAndre Hunter in this series yeah. has been a big loss. And the series has still gone seven. And you're right in the assessment of they've played better than the Hawks 75% of this series. But what is that worth if you can't close out these games? Right. you got to close it out. And the Sixers, they need, they need to have their poise down the stretch here. Because um, game four, game five, what was really troubling to me was the Hawks look like the more experienced playoff team. And that is inexcusable. That that just should not be the case. 215-592-9494. Let's get Kevin Voorhees in here. What's up, Kevin? Yo, Kevin. Let's put Kevin on hold. We'll get Kevin after the break. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, open lines right now. I'm Tom Kelly talking about Game 7 tonight. Sixers Hawks right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. They've got Del Curry inbounding the ball. They're going to set screens for Vince Carter coming to it. Also watch the quick pass to Curry after he inbounds. Curry has it. Carter trying to get free. Carter at the buzzer. No good. And the Sixers hold on and advance to the conference finals. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. Mike Breen and Bill Walton on the call. 20 years ago when, uh, I guess, was that the last time the Sixers played a Game 7 at home in the playoffs? No, because they hosted the Bucks Game 7 the following round. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so, they right. They played the Bucks in Game 7 in the conference finals. But 20 years ago, Sixers hosted that Game 7 um, in this same round against the Toronto Raptors. As you heard on the call, Dan noted to me before uh, playing the sound, Del Curry, the inbounder for the Raptors in that game, and obviously his son Seth, now a big part of the Sixers. By the way, and and I've mentioned this before, but just again, and, and, you know, you could criticize Daryl Morey for his maybe lack of improving the team this year, lack of not getting the trade done for Harden, as I've said many times. I don't think the Rockets were ever trading James Harden here. I just don't think that's something they were going to do. But my God, that Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade was incredible. It was such a heist. I mean, Seth Curry, in many ways, has been the second best player in this series for the Sixers. He's been huge. You've needed every ounce of everything he's given you, and you haven't necessarily expected Seth Curry to give you 30 points in the playoffs on multiple occasions. He's without a doubt been their second best player in the series. And um, I thought at the time it was a trade that would work out because I thought Curry just fit better with the roster than Richardson did, but he's the flat out better player. Richardson so much. Richardson's just not any good. Like he's not. Dallas, they they barely played him there. Now Dallas, they got a whole bunch of other stuff going on now, where Donnie Nelson resigns, Rick Carlisle resigns. Apparently, this guy Volgaris is like a shadow GM at this point. And I don't know what Mark Cuban's doing, but... Pretty involved owner has things going in all different directions down there. He's got to get things cleaned up because apparently Luca is not happy and... Not I mean, great. They can't... They, they can't lose him. They got to make sure they keep Luca happy. And, um, you know, that that's... that. I don't know what they're doing down there, but, man, that was a tremendous trade for the Sixers. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Open lines right now. 215 592 Nine four nine four, and speaking about keeping players happy, I talked about it the other night when I was on Thursday. Um, Sixers need to keep Joel Embiid happy, and 
regardless of what happens tonight, what happens the rest of the playoffs, that should be the only objective this offseason is making sure that they keep Joel Embiid happy. Now, I I really don't want to get in the offseason discussion. That'll be a conversation for another day. Hey, uh, I hope not, but it could be a conversation for tomorrow night. Like, if we uh, are sitting here 24 hours from now and the Sixers lose this game, then I'm sure we will do all the trade talk and all that stuff tomorrow night. By the way, I, I had listened uh, – Spike was actually a guest on the Low Post podcast. Did you hear this, uh, Dan? I saw that he was a guest. I didn't hear the interview. Yeah, I, I heard it. Um, and I'll just say this, and, and I'll I'll get the sound for a show coming up here um, in the offseason. But if the Sixers do look to trade Ben Simmons, I would say temper your expectations on what you're expecting to get back. Because I'm my expectations are very the, low. The names that Zach Lowe brought up were not encouraging. Like, I can't imagine that they are. I mean, I know people look to Portland and say, you know, let's go get Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard should not even be in the same stratosphere of a sentence. Like, apparently, uh, more, much more reasonable would be C.J. McCollum, which... I would easily do that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I might do it. I wouldn't be that happy about it. Like, I don't think C.J. McCollum's putting you over the hump or anything. No, I don't think he is, but I'd rather have McCollum as a supporting player to Joel Embiid than Ben Simmons at this point. Right. Well, uh, he, put the, he gives you something offensively for yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, obviously that, that, that conversation will happen at some point, but uh, yeah, I'd just say uh, if you, if you didn't listen to that, um, that podcast and you're thinking about all the great things Sixers could, could get back, um, I would, I would not be expecting uh, a, a great return for Ben Simmons because as Zach Lowe said, you know, on on the podcast, everybody's watching these games. Like other GMs are watching these games around the league, and for all the people who still want to defend Ben out there, I heard Gus and Allentown. Who I, I think Gus has just lost his mind at this point. It's it's honestly troubling. Gus, seek help because I think you're uh, in trouble. A ben Abler. Uh, well, well, Gus is basically saying Ben's better than Giannis, which is it's just ridiculous, absurd. But um, yeah, I mean. Other GMs around the league are watching these games, and uh, I don't think they have thought Ben has been this treasure and this great performance. And again, uh, and again, like you can listen to Doc Rivers, and I heard Keith Pompey, who was on with Ricky earlier, say this: like you can listen to all the great things Doc Rivers says about Ben, and you know you can take him at face value, or you can look at his actions, and his actions are. He's taking Ben out of these games because he doesn't trust him. Finally, it took him a little bit to do it, but he is now doing it. And we saw it more so in Game 6. The foul trouble is obviously a factor in that. But I've actually liked that Doc Rivers... Doc Rivers not exactly known for good in-series adjustments, like making the adjustment and actually not stroking Ben's ego and taking him out when he needs to be out. Mm-hmm. No, so, uh, yeah, I, I would I would just say... Uh... Anybody who thinks Ben is is giving you what you need in this series, you're you're delusional. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Kevin and Voorhees. What's up, Kevin? First, uh, this is definitely the biggest game in the last twenty years. Definitely bigger than Toronto. Um, just because this year it looks like our year compared to the Toronto year looks pretty handy to us this year. Well, I mean, it, you got at least a chance, Kevin. And I'll say this, like. I would not have liked their chances very much to beat Brooklyn, but getting Milwaukee is a much better matchup if the Sixers do win Game Seven. Yes, 
For sure. I, I agree as well. Also, I prefer to play a healthy team compared to Brooklyn because if we do beat Brooklyn, I don't want to hear, you know, Kyrie was hurt. Okay. Well, that's a th- that's another thing too. I actually think Kyrie probably would have been back. I I I don't think the Sixers would have beaten Brooklyn. Uh, I I I if Kyrie and Harden and Durant were all playing, I honestly don't think it would have been that close either. Definitely didn't didn't look like it was going to go our way. Uh, I do want to say I wouldn't give up on Ben. I don't think you win a championship without Ben. That's my problem with giving up on him. Well, wh- what do you mean as as far as winning a championship? Like, what if you got another player who? you know, could could help you get to that point. I don't think Tyrese Maxey impacts the Milwaukee series like he does Atlanta because Trey Young's not on the floor. Milwaukee's a much bigger team. I think Ben's going to actually be crucial in Milwaukee considering him and Giannis pretty much cancel each other out. Well, yeah, I, I'd agree with that, Kevin. Now, what the Sixers have typically done in the past, and, and honestly, I, I don't want to do too much of the Milwaukee previewing stuff because – um, you know, we could come to regret that. Yeah, but yeah. I, I honestly think what the Sixers would do is I think Embiid would be the one to guard Giannis. Um, and then I think you'd probably put Simmons on Middleton. And I think that's a series where you start Thibel and you put Thibel on Drew Holiday because, you, you know, I think it's a good series for the Sixers where they can hide their bad defenders. Like, you can hide Seth Curry on P.J. Tucker in that series. Yeah. You can you can put Tobias on Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez isn't a guy who's going to take Tobias down to the post. So I think those would probably be your matchups in that series. Because I definitely, I've definitely just heard a lot of people getting big on Maxie. And I like Tyrese, but... I definitely think we're not going to be able to ride him to a championship compared to like we're going to need Ben to play if we want to get through the next two rounds in a sense. Yeah, no, Kevin, I agree, but but do you think like Ben has it in him to get aggressive offensively again? Because this has gotten to be way more than just not shooting. It's it's. It's to the point now where he's not doing anything offensively. And think back to just a couple weeks ago. Remember, you remember Game Two against Washington. When he came out, and he was he was like a bat out of hell that night. He was going to the basket. He was attacking. After all the criticism of Game One, he doesn't even look like that player uh, that he was three weeks ago anymore. It's funny. I thought he was going to come out like that after we blew the first lead. I completely had my money on Embiid and Simmons coming out the next game and dominating. Yeah, but yeah, he has he has sunk. I definitely uh, he'll be able to hide for tomorrow. I do have faith we'll win tomorrow. I think tomorrow, I don't want to say it's a lot, but if we lose, the process is over. So it's either the process continues or it's over. And I honestly will be happy either way. <laughs> just so we have a turning point in some way, Kevin, either way? Yeah, honestly, because I just, if we lose, it's, it's turning into Carson Wentz 2.0. Like, it, I just want the drama to be over. If we lose, we most likely get rid of Ben. That's done. Yeah. It'll be like that, but I do want to win. I'm excited. I think we win. And I do think we get, I don't want to get too confident, but this is looking like our year. Yeah. No, I hear you, Kevin. I appreciate the call, man. Thanks a lot. Good call. And I, I now I and I thought of that comparison earlier, and I was hesitant to make it, but there are a lot of similarities with Simmons and Wentz where you just see a guy who you can just tell is mentally broken. Like you watched Wentz last year and I forget about what point it was. It might have been the Dallas home Sunday night game. Um, It might have been the Seattle Monday night game. But there was a point where you could just tell Carson Wentz was mentally broken. And that's where we've gotten to with Ben Simmons. He is so terrified 
to go to the free throw line that he doesn't want to do anything offensively. Like, Dan, do you remember how good he was in Game 2 against Washington? Remember, he went 0 for 6 from the line in Game 1, um, didn't do a ton offensively, and he came out in that Game 2 against Washington, and he was going to the basket, he was attacking, and now this whole hack ben strategy, I don't know if he just never believed it was going to become a thing when it was I, I've been saying for weeks this was going to happen if he didn't start shooting free throws better it's shattered him it, it's completely shattered him as a player he airballed a layup last night because he was afraid to go up strong with it yeah like, it's taken all, it, a whole new life of its own his timidness on the offensive end and it wasn't even just in the Washington series it was second half of what game three in this series Doc Rivers basically lights a fire in him at halftime and he goes on. And that's really what's annoying about Ben Simmons because you know it's like we've seen flashes of it. It's even more frustrating when a guy is not as advertised and he shows you, he teases you more so. If he had just been this his entire career and this was as advertised, first of all, he wouldn't be the number one pick in the draft. He wouldn't be a max money player. We would be able to stomach Ben Simmons a lot better because you wouldn't be building your team around him. Instead, he was advertised as a superstar and we're totally let down because he teases you a little bit, but in big moments, he always comes up small. Now, and when we get back, I did want to, I see our buddy Matt in, in Hamilton's on the line. We'll talk to Matt, but... I also wanted to, to, you know, talk about this potential matchup up next and why if there is any hope of salvaging Ben Simmons offensively, the best thing that could have happened to the Sixers was the Milwaukee Bucks winning Game 7 against the Nets and moving on. Uh, we'll get into the, why I believe that is when we return. 215-592-9494 to join the show. Talking about Sixers-Hawks Game 7. We'll be doing so all night right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Father's Day Sunday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. You just heard the Phillies promo there. We'll talk a little Phillies later on. They have uh, the finale of their three-game series in San Francisco later on today and a chance to go 3-3 three and three out west, which, all things considered, wouldn't be that bad. I mean, you you they have the offensive outburst on Saturday. Uh, Nola just you know com- continues to 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 disappoint. Um, but we'll talk Phillies later on. But but uh, Reese Hoskins steps up. Aaron Nola disappoints. Um, and the Nola thing is concerning. I, I, it's it's gotten pretty bad at this point. Where you know you're just expecting poor performances. And I think uh, we can put the rest the debate about who's the ace of this staff. I think it's pretty clear that it's it's Zach Wheeler. Uh, 215-592-9494. In a minute, I want to get to recapping, which really was an incredible Game 7 between the Nets and the Bucks in Brooklyn on Saturday night. And why, you know, if there is any salvaging or, or resurrecting Ben Simmons' offensive game, I think this is the better matchup. So we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's go to Matt and Hamilton. What's up, Matt? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. I know you're going to recap the Bucks game, but I just to start, I just want to say the Bucks winning is like it's even more a reason why this game. I don't want to say I didn't want to say if we lose is wasting Kawhi Beat's career, but because of Ben Simmons, and if if it's if Ben Simmons comes up short again, but I feel like that's the case because. Just to get to the conference finals where Joel Embiid hasn't been and 
have a chance to go to the finals against a team that we could possibly beat in the Bucks. I mean, it's 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 the biggest game in 20 years, like you said. Yeah. I mean, no, no, Matt, and I agree. And yeah, I think it's big for Embiid to get to that point. And I, I also agree with you in terms of now, like it would make the loss worse now that the Bucks are the team exactly. that they'd play. And I agree exactly. with that because honestly, if they got to the conference finals against Brooklyn, I, I after what we've seen this postseason, I don't think the Sixers would have stood much of a chance in that series, even. Even with Kyrie and Harden health-wise um, being in the shape they're in, the way Durant is playing right now, I, I just I don't think it would have it would have mattered all that much. But now that the Bucks are the team, like I, I even though the Sixers aren't playing great, the Bucks aren't playing great either. Like that's a team that the Sixers I actually believe match up pretty well with. Yeah, I agree, and I, I just I mean, yeah, Kevin Durant would have. He would have, I mean, it would have been a tough series. It's still going to be a tough series against the Bucks. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm just nervous for the game, man, because I don't know if I can even watch it, to be honest with you. I just I want to check the score, not early. I want to check the score on my phone in the fourth quarter. I don't have much to say tonight, but I just I want to check the score in the fourth, fourth quarter, and hopefully we're up because I just – we there's no comfortability factor with this team right now. There's no trust as a fan. I mean, I know we're the better team, but – we're playing down to their level, and even if we're up by 15 early in the fourth, I I don't know. I, that's not a comfortability factor, and they've shown that. So I mean, I just don't want to waste your own beats career. I want to get to the next series, but I, I don't. I think the role players. I think Joel Embiid's going to do what he does, barring hopefully he can stay healthy. I think Ben Simmons is going to have another nine point six rebound, like whatever assist game. But I hope if he can do, if he can play better, that'd be great. I mean, Shaq and not to keep rambling, but Shaq and Charles and all them were talking this. I don't know if you saw the post game tonight, but Shaq is like, look, he's like camera on me, and he's like Ben Simmons, man up. And I just, I mean, he's got, he's something's got to happen, Tom. And I, I think Tobias is going to play a big part, like I'm saying. But if Seth Curry has another big game, I mean, I, we're, I think we're going. I think we're going. But I, I'm nervous, Tom. Thank yeah, you. yeah, no, I, I'm nervous too, Matt. And uh, I mean, I. It's weird because I've gone back and forth on what to pick for this game. I can't pick against the Sixers just because, like, I, I honestly, I do believe they're the better team. Like, I truly, yeah. I truly believe that. And I think oh, when you it, got one player going twenty four for seventy two from the free throw right, line, right? I mean, it's just it's it's just nerve wracking, Tom. It is, and I mean, game four and game five, I. <laughs> They just came out of halftime and they thought the game was over. And if they were to do something like that again, shame on them. I mean, they 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 were very fortunate in Game Six that Atlanta kind of were sleepwalking through the first half of that game, and they kind of got got a little benefit of their own there. But tomorrow night is a night where they got to come out. They need to take control right away and not let their foot off the gas at any point in this game. I think. I think honestly, I know it's a repetitive factor all season, but I think we really got to. Put it on the defensive end. Like the defense is going to create the offense in this game, and I, I just think I think if we can really stop Trey Young tomorrow, I think that'll be that'll be help. But anyway, man, uh, yep. cheers to going to the Bucks, to facing the Bucks. Hopefully, yeah, I appreciate hopefully. it, Matt. Thanks, man. And yeah, I think I think being at home is going to help. Like it, it is. Uh, we know how this team has played at home over the last couple of years, and. That should be a significant factor. Now, it hasn't always played out that way this year in the playoffs, whether you look at this series 
um, with the Sixers dropping game five and then the Hawks dropping game six. Um, but that should be a legitimate factor. And here's the cut that that, uh, that Matt was referring to, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, talking about Ben Simmons on the uh, TNT postgame show. Knock him down, oh, Ben. Hey, hey, hey ben, but Cameron, Ben, you went to LSU. Man up, man. Man up. Stop messing around. Come on now. You know better than that. And it is kind of like, uh, and I guarantee you, Ben Simmons is embarrassed about it. He, I don't know how he couldn't be. Like he's the he's the the butt of every joke in the NBA right now with what is going on. And while this has been just a nightmare for him, this series, um, and I, you could talk about the defense. I personally don't think he has been that great defensively, um, uh, especially in. Game five, when Trey Young lit him up in game six, where it honestly, it did look like he, he, with the dumb fouls he was committing, it did look like he had no interest in being in that game. Like, and I, I got to call Embiid out on that too. I think there was a part of Embiid and Simmons where they obviously wanted to win the game, but I also think in the back of both their minds, there was this thing like, well, if we lose, then we just don't have to play together anymore and we can just both move on. I I was sensing a little bit of that during that game. If you pull the city of Philadelphia or even the bench, like in a true moment with lie detectors after the first six minutes of last night's game, is there a single person who's like, yeah, they're going to win? It didn't look like Their it. body language told you they weren't going to do it. And then they just kind of pull it out out of nowhere. Like, I didn't think they were going to win until very late. Like, like with three minutes left. I didn't left, believe it I, until the game yeah. was over. I was like, I guess we have a game seven. Yeah. So, I, and I still can't get over that feeling. I can't get over the feeling of, like, we wrote the obituary for this team just a few days ago, and everyone's talking themselves back in. It kind of reminds me of that Flyers Islanders series last year where everyone was down on them, and then they brought it back just to let it down in game seven. I'm not saying it's going to go this way, but I got a huge knot in my stomach about this game. I think it's going to be close. I think they're going to have to grind for every last thing they get. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty close too. And um when you look at that Nets Bucks game 7 and it was a phenomenal game if you missed it. Um where the Bucks, I don't know what the Bucks were doing late. They inbound the ball. They don't know how much time's left on the shot clock. The Nets end up getting it back. Durant hits an unbelievable shot. I mean, the Nets win that game if Kevin Durant's foot is a half an inch back. His foot's on the on the three-point line, so it's only a two they go to overtime. And in overtime, really, nobody scored. Um, the the Bucks outscored the Nets six to two in overtime. And you could Durant had nothing. I mean, Durant and Harden each played every second of that game. Harden was hurt to begin with. They had absolutely nothing left. So the Bucks end up winning the game and winning the series. And I think if when we and you look at Ben Simmons and what's happened to him offensively, and I've always, I've, I mean, I'm like a broken record with this, but I've said it for years. Ben Simmons' issue has never really been the jump shot that, as much, even though somebody posted a video today, and I like must have blacked this out from my mind back when Ben Simmons was in summer league, and he actually shot jump shots and actually looked pretty good shooting them. Like, it's crazy. When you look back, he's shooting with confidence. He is uh, putting them up from just inside three-point range, and the shot looks good. And the way he's regressed is unbelievable. But it all comes back to the free-throw shooting. And I have been saying this for years. 
because when he is not making his free throws, he doesn't want any part of playing on the offensive end. He doesn't want any part of going to the basket. He doesn't want any part of getting fouled. He doesn't want to be anywhere near that free throw line. And he has been psyched out from this hack of Ben strategy that Washington did in game four of the first round that the Hawks have done in their desperation in this round. And you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming in game four when the Hawks were down. You knew they were going to go to it. Game five, it's the reason the Sixers lost game five. Because you wonder what happened, how the Sixers blew that lead. It was because all their momentum got broken. They had plenty of flow offensively. They were scoring. But when the other team just starts fouling Ben Simmons, it's not even just about the misses at the line. It's about the way it completely disrupts the rhythm of the game. And this has gotten in his head to the point where he's terrified to be anywhere near the ball. The reason I believe, though, that the Bucks winning that series may have been the best thing for Ben Simmons is this. The Bucks, I do not believe, will implement that strategy. Because they have Giannis. And Giannis is going through a lot of those same issues right now. Now, the difference is, Ben Simmons just gives up like, and just says, okay, well, I'm not going to play offense anymore. To Giannis's credit, he keeps going to the basket. He maintains his aggress- aggressiveness. He keeps trying to score because he understands, you know, it's the NBA. And in the NBA, you can't just decide I'm going to play on one end of the floor and I'm just not going to, I'm just going to take off on the other side. You know, for all the people who want to say, oh, oh F- Ben gives so much effort, Ben doesn't play 50% of the game. Like, he just, on offense, watch, watch, just watch the possessions. Like, it's amazing how little he's doing right now. He's bringing the ball down the floor. They're playing 15 feet off of him. He just gives it to somebody and goes and stands around the rim, and he really doesn't get any offensive rebounds anyway, so I don't, I don't know what he's doing. But to Giannis's credit, he continues to attack. But I don't think the Bucks, at least, and maybe this can at least get his confidence somewhat back because I don't think the Bucks are going to implement that strategy against him if they meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because the Sixers can just do it right back to Giannis and then it becomes this whole weird thing that I don't think either side really wants. But uh, when you look at the matchups here, um, there's no doubt in my mind Milwaukee is a far better matchup for the Sixers. And as I said, I, I it's too early to go through and do the whole um, Bucks preview thing. Hopefully we can do that tomorrow when uh, after hopefully a Sixers win and the Sixers do advance their first conference finals in 20 years um, because I do think there are legitimate matchup things in that series that the Sixers have advantages in and can exploit. Uh, but that's one of them, is I do not think Milwaukee will do the hack ben strategy where I absolutely think Brooklyn would have, and uh, I just don't think Sixers would have really had much of a chance to beat the Nets. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. want you to continue calling in about Game 7. We'll continue talking about that. Um, and also, uh, we'll talk about some stuff that I've seen on social media uh Going along with our current gripes, 
that has bothered me over the uh, last uh, couple days here. So we'll do all that coming back here. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you on this Sunday morning. If you want to get in, we got open lines right now. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. 215-592-9494. Obviously, Sixers dominating the conversation tonight, um, as, as they should. But I did want to give you a little social media complaint that I have here that we didn't do earlier in the show that I I need to get to. And it's kind of on theme with my gripes lately, because lately I've seen what I feel is a lot of, I don't know, sensitivity from Philadelphia fans on social media. Maybe it's just a Sixers specific thing because there are, man, there are a lot of whiny Sixers fans out there. Uh, about a lot of stuff, like uh, you know, and it, it, we we talked about it before in regards to um, some of the other things, like the fan behavior thing. When uh, the Atlanta crowd was cheering when Joel Embiid was limping a little bit, and people were going nuts. Like if this was Philadelphia, it would it would lead every show. Like, okay, well, don't act like we wouldn't have done something like that here. We probably would have. You know, and and I just don't get why people care so much. Like, why do you care about the national media Philadelphia angle? Like, I don't understand why at this point that is something that, that bothers people. No one likes us. We don't care is one of the biggest lies ever spoken. It in absolutely city. is. It really is. Like, people care a lot about how we're viewed nationally and... It never goes over well because it's like no one likes us, but we're also really sensitive about it. They care way too much. And the one that I got to get to last night, and Dan, let me know if you see the same thing. But uh, first of all, the ripping of the announcers. Like, uh, first of all, you're going to rip Hubie. Hubie Brown is a legend, okay? Hubie Brown is tremendous. Uh, I mean, the fact that Doris Burke gets better assignments than Hubie Brown is a joke. Hubie Brown is so much better than Doris Burke. Doris Burke sucks. Okay, I, 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 I'm done with Doris Burke. She, she is just not very good. Um, she's a perfectly average broadcaster. She should not be on these big playoff games. She's not very good. But uh, I, I see people complaining about the announcers and why are they talking so much about Trey Young? Well, why are they so? You know, they, they go nuts every time Trey Young does something. Well, guess what? Trey Young's pretty damn good. Like, are you watching the series? Trey Young is a damn good player. He's a lot better than I thought he was. He, he he's kicking Ben Simmons' ass in this series. Of course they're gonna they're gonna talk about Trey Young. Just one time, I want the reaction on Twitter to be, you know, I think these national broadcasters are really rooting for the Philly team. Like, when was the last time we ever felt that way? They're not rooting against us. Nobody's rooting against they, the Sixers. If anything, they're rooting for game seven, which well, would have been the Sixers the other well, night. Well, that leads me to my next point. Is and and I know that Scott Foster is an awful official. Okay, this guy has been a terrible official in the NBA for years. The officials are not against the Sixers. They are not anti-Philadelphia. They're just bad. Okay, like they're just not good. It doesn't mean there's this anti-Philadelphia bias. Think about it from this perspective. 
what is better? Because that I, I honestly saw people saying, "Oh, they want Atlanta to win. They don't want the Sixers to win." Well, Adam what, Silver hates the process. Everyone knows that. What yeah. do you think is better for the NBA? A game seven on Sunday night, or the Hawks to advance and and not have a game seven in Philadelphia? What do you think the NBA would prefer? First of all. Who do you think they'd prefer in the Eastern Conference Finals? The Sixers. They'd prefer the Sixers. Sixers are the bigger market. Trey Young yeah, is a marketable player, but you can market Embiid. You, you know, obviously, the Sixers are, are a better market to have in a conference final than Atlanta is. There is no bias against the Sixers from the officials. Okay? And yeah, people were freaking out about the call last night, the maxi three that gets negated by a Lou Williams foul. Well, you know what? That foul wouldn't have happened if this dope Dwight Howard didn't do an idiotic thing that he's lucky he didn't get called for a flagrant for, by the way. He's kind of flown under the radar just how bad he's been in this series. And and I, I was going to get to this later. I'll get to it now. He can't be on the floor at all in Game 7. I would not play him in Game 7. If the minutes Joel Embiid sits, and you can't, like, Doc Rivers got to tell Joel Embiid before the game, and Joel Embiid's got to be ready for this. And this, if this means conserving some energy early, he's got to do it. You need 40 to 42 minutes from him in this game. You, you need to. You know, and uh, if you can steal some rest here and there, you steal some rest here and there. But you cannot be putting Dwight Howard on the floor. He is he is doing all this idiotic stuff right now. And he he has been for the most part this year, I enjoy I enjoyed watching Dwight Howard. I thought early in the year he was good. He was doing his role well. He was executing and, and doing what he's supposed to do on the floor. But over the last six weeks, he's become, you know, the 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 like a clown show. The, the, I, the fact that he's still doing this stuff this late into his career, it's honestly a shame. He won the title last year. You think that would mature you a little bit? It's almost right. as if he cares less. And it's one thing you're on LeBron's team. Like you got to stay in line to a certain degree. Like, and it might be telling as to why the Lakers didn't bring him back. Like, there's a reason they didn't bring him back there. Um, and when he wanted to go back there, he thought he was going back there, but. It's honestly sad because I still think he can be a productive player, but he just, and you'll see, just will go and he'll just push guys in the back. And it's like, you're like, and then he'll complain. You're going to get called for that every time. They're watching you. What What do you not understand about you're going to get called when you do stupid things? So here's the question. What do you do in the non-Embiid minutes? I think you play Simmons at the five. I, I think it's all that you That actually can do. could be Simmons' role in this game. I think it's a better role for him than... Than running the offense. Right. Like, if in that, let's just play this out. In that situation, you have Embiid on the bench. You got to have Thibel in the game because Thibel's got to guard Trey Young. You play Simmons at the five, and I think that's your solution. It's a better solution than playing Dwight Howard. Like, I, I am I, I am done with Dwight Howard in this series. It, you cannot. You cannot let him cost you because every time he's been on the floor recently, it's been it's been a disaster, and maybe it'll be a good Dwight game, but you can't take that risk. How do you think these minutes in total shake out? Because tonight in the Brooklyn uh, Milwaukee game, we saw the benches as you'd expect really shorten up, and minutes 
going to the full max, guys going high 40s, low 50s. Did, did, did Shamit play tonight for Brooklyn? I, don't, I didn't, don't the remember bench, seeing him I before. don't know. They had, like, he might have gotten in for just a few minutes. Like, Which is kind of surprising to me. I figure he's a guy they could have used, used a little bit. Maybe they were worried about him defensively. They, no, they basically went with their starters. Like, both teams went with the starters the whole game. This is a game I have not – I don't know where you stand. I heard you mention him earlier. I have not been impressed with George Hill. Like, I was in favor of him a few months ago. He hasn't really been giving you much. I wouldn't put him on the floor in any sizable capacity in this game. I probably – I, I wouldn't be against not playing Dwight Howard. Like, I'm looking at your starting five, which is including Cork Moss because Danny Green is out, and you maybe try and light the – the fire, the what's the saying? You try light and the light, stri- light the fuse, strike while the iron's hot with Shake Milton. See if it works. If not, you have to have a quick, real quick, hook. real quick whip on him. Get him out of the game. You have Tyrese Maxey. You have you could go to Thibel obviously for defense, but that's who I'm looking at in this game. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to hear any of this. The 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 ten eleven deep stuff that Doc Rivers has been preaching all season does not come into play in this game. No, like I, I need like seven eight guys on the court, Max. I kind of see it the same way you do. I, I think by necessity you got to play George Hill. Like I I think by necessity. How many minutes? Like uh, it depends. Like it depends on what he what he looks like when he's out there. But like, uh, and I, and I agree with you in terms of Milton. I'd say either late first quarter, early second quarter, you give Shake Milton about 60 to 90 seconds. And you'll know in that 60 to 90 seconds whether he's going to help you or whether he's going to kill you. And if he's going to kill you, you get him out of the game and you, you tell, you tell him, him to we'll, go home. We'll, yeah, we'll see him next series. Get away from the bench. Yeah. Right. But like, Maxi obviously deserves an opportunity, but Maxi's another one where I like him, but a young player in a game seven, if he doesn't have it and he's forcing stuff, you need to have a quick hook. At least with George Hill, I am, I am. He won't do somewhat, anything to right, hurt you because right. he's a veteran. And he should know better. I'm confident he'll be in the right spot at the right time, and because he's been there before. For guys in this kind of game, like that's something that's important. He actually finally did hit a big three in Game Six um, after he airballed one. Uh, but and I like Maxi. I'm not saying give George Hill Maxi's minutes, but you know Maxi. He could like it's not a lock that Maxie's going to come out and have a good game seven. No, I know, and, and that's moment. really that's my concern. I'm not even like you said. You think the Sixers are going to win the game because they need it more. I'm almost looking at maybe it's just my negative viewpoint because I'm still stuck on them the way they've lost games four and five. I almost have viewed this series as the reason the Hawks are still around. One of the big reasons is the same thing we've said about Tyrese Maxie of. I know it's cliche, but he's like almost too young to understand the moment. I feel like this Hawks team is almost too inexperienced yeah. to play to understand the moment. I was listening to the NBA, the inside the NBA guys the other night, and they were all kind of saying, and I agree with them. Like the Hawks, like are almost playing with house money here. It's like they have nothing to lose, which almost benefits the more all of the pressure in this game. Like one hundred percent of the pressure is on the Sixers, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Like I hope they rise at the moment. I'm not confident they do. No, you got to I mean, the Hawks aren't afraid and they and they again, haven't been afraid all series. Right. And this comes back to what I'm talking about with Embiid with the body language. Like teams in that league they feed off their best player. You know, and you can see it. Like and I honestly think a lot of the reason and and I it, let me be 100% clear. Joel Embiid is the last reason the Sixers lost game 5. But do I believe that, you know, his body language may have... Uh, Contagious. It, right. 
like if he is being positive in that moment and saying, okay, here we go, you know, let, let's settle things down. I don't know if game five gets out of control, but when Embiid starts moping and, and I get why he was frustrated, you know, you look around in that game and you see the two guys who are supposed to be your, your, your partners, Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons come up that small. Him and Seth I Curry yeah, are the only ones scoring. Yeah. Right. Like that's understandable, but you got to acknowledge the fact that you're the leader and they're going to feed off your energy. And when we talk about that, like, and like you, you bring up Dan, the reason the Hawks are fearless is because Trey Young is fearless. Like, if Trey Young's not afraid, that's going to be contagious to a guy like John Collins. And John Collins isn't going to be afraid, even though John Collins looked pretty terrified when Embiid was walking him down in Game 6. He's got a weird... That was a dumb thing of Embiid to do, by the way. Oh, it was. John Collins has a weird, per- like, almost personality to him. Like, he's very kind of stone-faced, like, very serious. But you're right, in that moment, it there was a little bit of backing off, which is the only ounce of fear we've seen out of this Hawks team all series long. I think it plays well for him in Game 7. I don't think they back down in this game at all. Collins is one of those guys that coming into this series, I did not think a lot of him, but after the series, I kind of like him. Like, I, I kind of think you, you, you he hate can play him. a little bit. Yeah, you hate him if he's on the other team. You love to have that guy on your team. And it was, like, kind of the same thing in the first round. Like, going into that series, I thought Hachimura was terrible. Now I think Hachimura might be a decent player. It, it only takes watching five, six games in a row of the right. guy to see him. Right, because you don't watch those guys that much. Like, I wasn't watching much Hawks You're not locked in on the Wizards. Hawks and Wizards during the regular season? Not, yeah, not really. Not particularly in the Southeast Division. I think that's what it's called. I'm not— The divisions in the NBA could not matter any less. Right. Anyway, but yeah. It is stupid. They should just get rid of those and just have conferences. But This year it mattered even less because they didn't even play the extra division games. It was literally just based upon your conference. Right. It didn't do anything. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I just— I think Embiid really needs to be conscious of his body language going into this game. And and his body language, honestly, it wasn't good in Game 6. He, I thought him and Simmons both kind of looked like they. if we win, great. If we lose... Well, Simmons has been out of it the whole series. Right. Simmons is just... Uh, like, if the Sixers win this, it's going to be in spite of Ben Simmons. And, and man, and, and we'll talk a little bit next segment about what happened to the Utah Jazz last night because they managed to one up the Sixers. It was astonishing, but it truly shows you like for all the people out there who are so, you know, defense wins championships. Like you need elite defensive players. If defense wins championships, I suppose you want Ben Simmons. Well, look, look at, look at the two best defensive players in the league this year, Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons. What happens to them in a playoff series when they're playing against good teams. They're complete liabilities. Simmons offensively was a liability. And if you were watching that game last night uh, with the Clippers, Gobert was a liability. Like, he could not guard on the perimeter. The Haw- the Clippers were not really playing a big man. They- I think their-, their biggest guy on the floor was Marcus Morris a lot of the time. And they had this guy Terrence Mann out there who Utah just wasn't guarding because Gobert couldn't close out. They were penetrating, drawing Gobert in, getting wide open three looks all night long. So, you know, defense, as much as it sounds good, especially in the NBA these these days, defense does not win championships. It's just not true. What a night for the unlikely story in the NBA. You know, this is not the NCAA tournament. Usually stars rise in the moment in the NBA. First of all, in the early game, you have Tyrese Maxey, who – 
should not, this has been under-talked about in my opinion, should not even be a Sixer because that wasn't even supposed to be the Sixers pick. Mike Muscala hits a shot in the bubble to give the Sixers the 21st pick, gets Tyrese Maxey on the Sixers. Then you go to the second game, Terrence Mann, who was a, p- picked in the 40s, He's a second-year player, has never scored that much in college, in the NBA, and in a game to advance the Clippers to the conference finals for the first time in franchise history, goes off for 39 points. Yeah, and um, uh, but but Gobert was a liability, as was Simmons, and it's interesting with Maxi because while Simmons, I think it's pretty obvious that over the course of this playoff run, his trade value has decreased significantly, and I know we don't, we don't want to talk about trading a player we like, but if you do have big eyes for a, a legit player to come in here and a potential Simmons trade, the good thing for you is Maxi's value is increased. So you could include him in a trade like that and maybe, you know, help we're, you, help we're you out. We're not talking about giving a team Tyrese Maxi so they'll take Ben Simmons well, yeah, in spin I mean, zone. If you get both of them, maybe a team can think they can utilize them. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Just talked a little bit about it there. But when we get back, I did want to uh, get into a little further. Um, why the Utah choke choke job on Friday night was worse than the Sixers uh, earlier in the week. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. It's hidden. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for uh, another uh, hour plus here. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 to join the show um, we do have open lines right now if you want to get in. Uh, obviously, Father's Day, a lot of people, big plans on Sunday. But if you want to join, uh, you're welcome to 215-592-9494. Obviously, a lot of talk tonight about Sixers-Hawks Game 7 coming up later on at the Wells Fargo Center. And, um, you know, should be a really interesting night. Should be a really exciting night. And the the... The aspect of this thing being at home really, really puts a lot. I mean, there's no doubt. All the heat's on the Sixers here. And while the Hawks had a 3-2 lead, they are not the team under pressure in this series. They are a team that even if they lose this game, they can go into the offseason and they can say, hey, we, we this, this is a year we can build off of. Go to the playoffs, beat the Knicks, get to the second round, Take a Sixer team who was heavily favored to seven games, um, and they can. It's already been a successful season for the Hawks, essentially. Like they are playing with house money. They truly are. For the Sixers, completely different scenario. The Sixers need to win this game, and that can work one of two ways. It could be, as Dan mentioned, the Hawks could, uh, you know, be playing carefree, could be playing relaxed, and that could carry them. I look at it the other way. I think the urgency, and maybe I'm wrong because the Sixers at times in this series when they should show urgency have not shown urgency. But I believe in this situation, the urgency and the pressure will work to the Sixers' advantage. That they will realize that this is a game that as an organization, they just cannot lose. For Ben for for Joel Embiid, this is a game that he cannot lose. If Joel Embiid loses this game, even with how well he's played in this series and I think most of the games in this series, he's played pretty well. Obviously, the second half of game 4 was terrible, 
Uh, didn't have a, se- a great second half in Game 5, even though I think if, if you blame him for Game 5, that's absurd. Um, Joel Embiid has had a, a very good series. But if he loses this game, he'll be labeled as a playoff joker because that's what happens in, in this league. If you do not win series that you are supposed to win and you are the star player, you are the guy who it, it, the label's going to be on, whether it's fair or not. And I think Joel Embiid is going to come out ready to go. I think he's going to come out fired up. I think he's going to understand the urgency of the moment. And everybody on the Sixers team should understand the urgency of the moment. A guy like Tobias Harris, hey, you spend all year with this chip on your shoulder and this idea that you're irritated that you're not an all-star, well, prove you're an all-star. Because if you don't show up in Game 7, you don't deserve to be one anyway. Like, you don't get those kind of accolades by having good regular seasons. And this is what people got to understand. Like, you get that kind of recognition in large parts what you do in the postseasons over the course of years. Like, these things are legacy uh, awards. These things are, are you know, resume awards. It's not like baseball where it's based upon the first half you have. It's, right. It's more so based on your name. Right. NBA All-Stars don't change that much. And I said after Game 5, like, to, Tobias asking all year, why am I not an All-Star? Well, that's, this why, is why. that's <laughs> why you're not an All-Star. Because you, you throw that dud out there in Game 5. You kind of have throw the target on your back right. when you say stuff like that. Do you think there's any, like, can you even overstate the pressure that's on, for two reasons, Doc Rivers in this game? A, because he's blown a number of leads in the playoffs, not just within games, but within series. And the fact that last year he leaves the Clippers uh, kind of with some murky waters there. They're not too happy with him. And Teron Lewin's first year gets them further than he ever did there. Like that has oh, yeah. to add to it, right? No, I think I I I I honestly and maybe I'm being naive, I honestly don't think Doc looks at that that much. Like I I I, I hope he doesn't. I think he's kind of a singular focused guy where he is focused on the task at hand. He's focused on what the Sixers need to do, but is it in the back of his mind? I, I it's got to be. I mean, it's got to like be team, a little bit. I just coached without their best player, made it further, and we are now trying to get there with my new team. That's right, more and, talented without him, and it could be another collapse. And if you look back at Doc's resume, it's bad since winning that championship in '08, it is just littered with blown series leads, blown leads in big games. Um, Obviously, we all remember the one last year in the bubble where the Clippers lose a 3-1 lead to Denver, and in that series lost, I think, an 18-point lead and a 20-point lead and, and had nothing left at the end of Game 7. It's got to it's gotta be in the back of his mind. I don't think he's actively thinking about that during the game or anything, but I think it's it's certainly something that, that's in the back of his mind. I've been clinging to this similarities between Doc Rivers and Joe Girardi take for a little bit now. Not from the playoff blown leads perspective, but from they both won like 12 years ago, have a name, and really have been disappointing since, and no one wants to admit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, and I think there's also, you know, and it, it deserves to get called out too, and I was a, a, somebody who didn't think Brett Brown did a great job, certainly last year. Um, and deserved to be fired. And I thought Brett Brown really, where he deserved to be held accountable, was his role in the roster construction. Like, I had that big of, 
I had a much bigger issue with Brett in terms of like the 2020 offseason where Elton Brand was the GM, but I think Brett had a lot to do well, with like bringing in Horford and letting Jimmy go. And that's where I think uh, Brett Brown deserved more blame than anything. But hey, this is the kind of series where if Brett Brown's coaching this series, we are destroying Brett Brown as really the only reason the Sixers are losing. And that's not. Uh, Doc Rivers doesn't criti- get the same same thing with Girardi. People have been critical of Doc, but not to the same extent that, that it would have been if it was Brett Brown. Yeah, there's no way. And, and to be. F- uh, look, I'm not sitting here. This isn't the defend Brett Brown hour, but there was a lot of organizational malpractice between the stuff that went on with Colangelo and then forcing Brett Brown into that role. And then Elton Brand basically admitting that he was in over his head with that job. Like, who's to say like that kind of spiraled out of control, at least the way I read it. That doesn't mean that Brett Brown is free of blame, but I think there's even more blame to go around across the organization there that goes beyond Brett. There is, but I think Brett, had a lot to do with the moves that like some I, coaches shouldn't be GMs. Right. Like like Brett and Jimmy did not get along. Like No, well I think and, that's clear. And a lot of people don't get along with Jimmy, but still well, like, Jimmy is his own, you know, show now. He yeah. he a lot of people don't like him. You're but right. in retrospect, and I I don't and I'm this is totally second guessing, totally revisionist history. I was not calling for the Sixers to do that do this at the time. But and and it's the Jimmy thing is so weird because we still don't really know what happened. Like there's still not a lot of clarity, you know, even even in terms of what was offered. Like, did the Sixers offer him the Supermax? Did they not offer him the Supermax? Um, a lot of people said they did. Woj said they didn't. And it you, seemed like they didn't, and that's what annoyed well, Jimmy, put it over the edge and said, get me the hell out of right. here. Right, like, and typically you would believe Woj, but there are a lot of like reputable people saying they did offer him the five-year Supermax. So it's, it's not, like... It's not that often that you see differences in reporting between right. high-profile people like that. But I, I do think a major factor was, and, and it, it, it wasn't like they hated each other, and it, it, I think it's kind of similar with Embiid and Simmons. Because Embiid and Simmons, I don't think they hate each other. They're just not the best of friends. They're not the best of friends, and I think they know they're, they're that they the, the fit together isn't great. I think with Butler and Simmons, I think it was a similar thing. And honestly, I think Jimmy Butler was bothered by Ben Simmons not evolving his offensive game because Jimmy Butler's a guy who believes in putting in the work to get better. And um, I also think that, that Jimmy Butler wanted to be a primary ball handler. He wanted to be a point guard. And I do wonder if Jimmy Butler had, if he had given the Sixers an ultimatum, and and who knows, maybe this happened. If he had said, I'll come back if you trade Ben, in retrospect, I would have done that. I wouldn't have done that at the time, but looking back how things have transpired since then, I absolutely would have done We're looking that. at a Jimmy Embiid team, and who knows what they get back for Ben. And then, then I don't are, maybe maybe you don't re-sign Harris then may use that money elsewhere, but you probably do re-sign Harris, Harris. Felt like a little bit of a desperation move of like, well, we have to bring one of them right. back. So you're right; it, the entire future of the organization goes different. I, who's to say where we're sitting right now? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, and I mean, and I again, I am not telling you this is something I would have done at the time. The Heat, I would not have done that. The Heat definitely don't go to the finals last year. Like the whole NBA history changes. Yeah, you don't know. But and especially 
you know, from from the Sixers' point of view, um, I would I, at that point. I mean, I was still a Ben believer up until um, you know, a, a few weeks ago. Uh, the, this playoff run has kind of changed my opinion on Ben. Um, but yeah, I, I looking back on it, that's certainly if that was the decision the Sixers had to make. I wonder if they would do it differently uh, this time around. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two. 9494 if you want to get in. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Remember before COVID-19. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. We'll get into some Phillies in the next segment here as they beat the Giants 13 to 6 on Saturday. Uh we'll do that next. Um and in, in a minute I do want to get into some more from this Bucks Nets game because man, this game if you missed it what I mean, an instant classic game seven. Uh, one of the things I liked from it was PJ Tucker trash talking with Kevin Durant's mom courtside. Uh, I and I know a lot of people don't like Kevin Durant. I I love Kevin Durant. I I feel bad for him that he lost this series. He did not deserve to lose this series. I mean, he put out a superhuman effort in how many different games. This, this series is not on Durant. He it, just got very little help. If it. <laughs> They Which asked, is ironic think, from this Nets team. I but. think they asked him after the game what was the difference. He said, my big-ass foot, because his foot was on the line. If it literally, if it is the game is centimeters. inch back, it's a three-pointer at the end of regulation, the Nets win, and, and that would have been insane. But, a be, you know, it, but it really does add to – Matt and Hamilton called us earlier, and I think made a great point, because it really does add to, I think, the need for the Sixers to win this game. Because – if you win and you're going up against Brooklyn, I, I, I just I don't think the Sixers would have won that series. I just don't. And I know going into the playoffs, I, I picked them to win the series, but as things have kind of transpired and seeing the way the Sixers are playing, seeing the just insane regression of Ben Simmons over the last couple weeks and how well Durant was playing because Durant was a wild card going into the playoffs. We didn't know what to expect from him. And I mean, it's pretty clear. He's still the best player in the world. I just don't think it's a series. The Sixers would have won, um, especially if they get Kyrie back, which I'm assuming they would have. Um, and I think they just match up a lot better with Milwaukee. And now it just increases the urgency of, you know, if you get to the conference finals and you lose to Milwaukee, that's much easier to take. But if you lose game seven, then it'll be this whole what if thing is same thing as two years ago, where what happens if the Sixers win that game, especially if, say, Atlanta and Milwaukee is a really competitive series. And then it would be like, OK, well, the Sixers, you know, they should have beaten the Hawks in five. They should have been in this series. And I think. Like and obviously, like I said, we all will have plenty of time if the Sixers win to do the whole Sixers Bucks preview. I just think the Sixers match up really well with Milwaukee if that's if if they end up getting there. So I agree. I think this is a much better matchup for them. I forget if it was Matt or someone else who said, "If I wanted the Nets, I would have wanted them at full strength." I disagree. Like that's great that you want you don't want to hear the chirping from other teams' fan bases. Have you got a altered team sometimes in sports it's about the team and the circumstances you have you think 
the Toronto Raptors back in 2019 are like bummed out that they got Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant injured and that they won a title because of it? Like, no way. If you told us before the playoffs that there's going to be no LeBron James still sitting out there, there's going to be no Steph Curry sitting out there, that the number one seed Jazz are going to get bounced in the second round, that the Nets are going to get bounced, that it's going to be the Bucks, the best matchup for the Sixers in the conference finals. And on the other side, you got the Suns and potentially a Kawhi-less Clippers. And the only issue would be the Sixers getting past the Hawks. You know how fast we would have signed up for that? Yeah, and it's about matchups. And, like, if you look at that next round, like— I think it would be a series where if you don't have Danny Green, instead of starting Korkmaz, Thibel, you'd start Thibel. Like, it would make a lot more sense to start Thibel because I think, like I said earlier, I think you actually would put Embiid on Giannis and you just say, Giannis, shoot all the threes you want, shoot everything. Clog from, the paint on them. Right. The same way teams yeah, do to Simmons. Everything from 15 feet out, I think you would just encourage Giannis and be like, hey, shoot it. And if you make it, we'll die that way. If you want to come into the basket, which where is where, because you look at this series, Giannis, a lot was made of the free throw thing. And yeah, he was bad at the line. Giannis was still scoring 40 points a game in the series because the Nets don't have a, 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 anybody to defend him at the rim. Like Blake Griffin did an admirable job defending Giannis, but like Joel Embiid could legit deter Giannis from going to the basket at all. Yes, and I look at these Sixers and Bucks teams. They're very similar. They're two in teams. In a lot of ways. That, in a lot of ways. They've built kind of in the same era. They're, they have, quote-unquote, star players, although you know we're, we've kind of been downgrading Ben Simmons out of that star role, especially post-season this week. Dis- post-season disappointments. He is not post-season disappointments. Teams who have not been able to get over the hump. Coaches yeah. who have big-time postseason disappointments and someone would have to emerge right like someone would have to emerge and there would be a storyline also even if the Hawks beat the Sixers in game seven Budenholzer going up against his former team no matter what like this is the parody we have in the NBA this year someone's going to break through the Clippers are playing in the conference finals for the first time the Suns for the first time in ever like someone's going to end a long title drought or win their first title ever. And even if you look at these teams from a more modern sense, the Sixers and Bucks are very, very similar, and you and couldn't have asked for it any better yeah. to get that. They have to win this game. It's and, unbelievable. And you look at that series, too. Like One of the things in this series is the Hawks have been able to exploit Seth Curry. Milwaukee really couldn't do that. I mean, you can they, they played P.J. Tucker 38 minutes in this game. You can just put Seth Curry on P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker's not exploiting anybody offensively. Like, he's not, he's not making you pay at all. Like, Tobias isn't a great defender. You can put him on Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez isn't going to punish him in the post. And, you know, you look at this series, if this happens, I think it's a, it's, it's a matchup that would really play to the Sixers' advantage here. And just looking at some of the numbers, I mean, Milwaukee has very little confidence in their, in their bench. I mean, both teams shorten the bench in this game. DiVincenzo was actually a big loss for them. Um, they played Connaughton off the bench 23 minutes. Bryn Forbes played five minutes. Um, and then, I mean, Giannis's brother played a minute at some point, I guess. Uh, and they didn't play anybody else on their bench. I guess, like, a guy like Portis you'd probably see over the course of a series. Um, but I, 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 in some ways, the Sixers may actually be deeper than Milwaukee, which... It doesn't seem like the Sixers are deeper than anybody, um, but, man, it, it would be a really interesting series. By the way, Shamit went six minutes in this game. The only stat he recorded was a rebound. Okay. So they didn't use him essentially at all. I mean, their starters, 
Green played 12 minutes off the bench. They went to Claxton at the very end just to guard the inbound. But basically, all the starters played 40 minutes or more. Mm-hmm. And the only reason Blake Griffin didn't go more than 40 minutes because he fouled out. Yeah. So you look at what the Sixers do in this game. And we talked a little bit about the rotation earlier. But I want to talk about it again here. Like, you, I think, need to be very cognizant of playing the bench. And just comparing, it's interesting looking at the comparison from this game seven where Brooklyn and Milwaukee both pretty much said, we're going to play our starters and we're not going to go to the bench. And like you said, Jeff Green plays 13 minutes, Shamit plays seven, and for Milwaukee, Connaughton played 23, and really barely anybody else on their bench played at all. The Sixers played five guys. They they played 10 players on uh, on Friday night. Two of their bench players and Maxie and George Hill played over 20 minutes. Thibel played 11. Uh, Howard played 10. Milton played four. I would say in this game, I mean, Embiid in that last game played 38. I think you need Embiid playing 42, 43 minutes. Uh, I think that's what you're looking for from him. Simmons played 25 because he's in foul trouble. Who knows how many minutes he's going to play. It's going to be determined on the free throws, and if they start hacking them, you're going to have to get them out, which is ridiculous, but it's what you're looking at. Tobias Harris has got to be over 40 minutes in this game. Um, Seth Curry played 39 the other night. I think he should be over 40 minutes in this game. Um, and then you got to mix and match, uh, but you got to be very careful with your bench players. And Doc Rivers has to, and he keeps saying he will, but he doesn't really learn. He needs to be better about not going to these bench players for extended periods of time. It's just not going to work. And as we talked about earlier, I would not play Dwight Howard at all in this game. I would already say, you know, Dwight's on ice. Ben can be the backup five. And maybe that's a better role for Ben. I don't know. Like, he's obviously struggling to get into any kind of rhythm in this series. Um, I kind of think it's a lost cause for him in this series. But maybe in that role, he could be more effective. Um, But you got to be careful with how you utilize these bench guys in this game, for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see how Doc how Doc rolls them out there. Absolutely, and I don't care if they're up fifty points. I don't think anyone wants to see the bench line up there for more than a few minutes at a time because they they haven't gone to the all bench lineup since game one, which really cost them game one. But even that lineup with Tobias and the bench doesn't usually work out too. Now the games where it has worked out, they've played really well. And what was game three or game four where they had no bench points at the half and then the bench ends up going off in the second half? Like, it can be streaky. I get it. But you can't go to it for an extended period of times. I'm with you on the Dwight thing. Like, he stinks. I would even cut George Hill's minute. Like, I, I, this is the type of game in a game seven where I would look to have two starters out on the floor at any given time. Like, not yeah. just the one. No, you should. And, and uh, you know, I'd say... Yeah, you you got to make sure you have your starters out there as much as you possibly can. And um, wh- one more thing, because I never got to, to it earlier, I forgot about it. But um, you know, talking about that Sixers collapse, the the Utah collapse to me was so much worse. Like, and the Sixers one to happen at home was bad, but for the Jazz to happen in an elimination game, I couldn't believe that they're up twenty five. And I heard you say something similar during Ricky's show, Dan, I believe. Uh, but 
for that to happen in an elimination game was unbelievable. Without Kawhi. Yeah. Like, without Kawhi and to let Terrence Mann beat you? Like, it was just so... Apparently, the Jazz wanted to one-up the Sixers in terms of the worst collapse of the week. We were all sitting here the next day saying how this is one of the worst losses in recent history. It wasn't technically, I mean, not technically, it wasn't an elimination game. How this felt worse than the Kawhi shot because of the expectations. I thought it did, and here they are playing in a Game 7. Meanwhile, the Jazz end their season on that note. And you look at guys who could potentially want out. Uh, this off season, I could see Donovan Mitchell being that guy. Like, usually All it happens. All these stars are a ticking time bomb before they get sick of their organizations. Right. And, well, I said it the other night. The Sixers better figure out what they're going to do this offseason, or it could be Embiid. Like, as much as Embiid, you know, loves Philadelphia, loves the fans, and I don't doubt that, he wants to win. And if the Sixers aren't putting him in the best position to win – he will demand the trade. Well, it will it, happen. If Embiid gives that ultimatum that we think Jimmy Butler might have, I don't think the Sixers should have any trouble deciding no. that one. No, and they, they will. And, and obviously, that will be a conversation for another day. Hopefully, that day is not tomorrow. Hopefully, we are not looking to the offseason tomorrow. Hopefully, we are celebrating a Sixers Game 7 victory and looking ahead to an Eastern Conference Final Series with the Bucks that would start Wednesday night. Um, but coming up next, I did want to talk a little Phillies as they uh, take uh, game two of their set with the Giants, uh, game three later on today. We'll talk a little Phils next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Hi, it's Pete from Chickies and Pete's. Baseball, plus basketball, and hockey, the playoffs. Come enjoy all the games at Chickies and Pete's for the best in-game experience. Or stop by on your way to or from the ballpark for a game day celebration like no other. We love hosting the best fans in the world. Chickie and Pete's is now hiring at all locations, both full and part-time positions. Click chickiesandpeats.com slash careers. That's Chickies and Pete's. And favorite 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you. Uh, for another couple segments here in the final hour, I want to play my hour with Howard from Thursday night, which was a good time. Um, as we, as I filled in for Joe Giglio on Thursday night, uh, the day after game five. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have that in the five o'clock hour, but obviously a lot of Sixers talk so far tonight. Uh, but I did want to switch it over for a minute and talk a little bit about the Phillies as they get a win in San Francisco. On Saturday, they beat up on the Giants 13 to 6. 13 runs for the Phillies, 16 hits. Um, and they needed an offensive outburst uh, on a day where Aaron Nola didn't pitch well. We'll get more to Nola in a minute. Uh, but obviously, a big, a big win for the Phillies as they get the first one in San Francisco. And hey, I mean, a chance now for them if they can get a win on Sunday. To come back from this West Coast trip 500, and you know, I think it's a pretty big game uh, in terms of going out there against two good teams, the Dodgers and the and the Giants. Obviously, two of the better teams in baseball this year. If the Phillies can come back uh, with a split in those two series, uh, you know, losing two or three to the Dodgers, if they can get two or three in San Francisco, you'll take it. I mean, I mean, you know that that is tough competition, and if they can do that. You know, you, you'll you'll take it and you'll you'll accept that moving forward. But 
the Phillies are able to get Bryce Harper back this weekend. That's a positive thing, especially considering the other night when he came out. You're starting to think, here we go again with the back issues. And I do think the back issues are something to be concerned about with Bryce Harper for sure. Long term, a player you have that kind of money committed to. Kind of chronic back issues at this point in his career are not good. And that is a concern long term. But you're able to get him back. You lose Gene Segura. He'll be out for a period of time here. Hopefully get Didi Gregorius back soon. Um, But with those guys kind of banged up, with Segura going out of the lineup, you need guys to step up. And Reese Hoskins, who has struggled mightily, and we've seen this with Hoskins over the course of many years, where he will struggle, but when he gets hot, he can really carry you. And Reese Hoskins finally was able to break out of his slump uh, earlier this week and a huge game on Saturday in San Francisco. Three hits, six RBI, uh, went deep twice in this game. And it's absolutely huge for the Phillies to get this kind of production from Reese Hoskins. Uh, Here's Joe Girardi after the game on Hoskins' performance and what it meant uh, to the club on Saturday. Well, we saw it, I, I think, the first in, in L.A., at the end of our trip to L.A., that his swing was was back. And um, he was making solid contact all the time, and it's what he's been doing. And uh, he had a huge day for us. I mean, it was, it was great. So did Torres. Torres had a really big day for us as well, um, which is great to see, too. And that was Girardi, you know, kind of just talking about when they saw Reese Hoskins maybe coming out of this. We've been calling for it for weeks that Reese Hoskins – needed to come out of whatever funk he's in. Because this team needs offense. They need to outscore teams. And with guys like Didi and Gene Segura out of the lineup, you are going to need Hoskins to be one of those players that can carry you. And he came up big on Saturday. And Hoskins, while he struggled over the years, sometimes will come up big in these kind of big moments. Here was Joe Girardi uh, talking about that a little further. And, uh, you know, Hoskins, he's just, he just seems to come up with a lot of, like, go-ahead hits. hits. Yeah. I mean, do you kind of – well, like, he's, he's – Yeah, he's had a knack out. for it. He's had a real knack for it. Um, and it's been really important to our club. Because, um, you know, like I said, at times, we were without a bunch of our guys that we expected to be run producers. And Reese was carrying a lot of the load um, in those situations. And, uh, again, you know, we lost kind of a tough game last night. He has a big game, gets us going – right away again. Um, So it's great to see. And you really hope this is the start of something significant because uh, Reese Hoskins is just a player the Phillies need. Uh, They can't deal with him being as inconsistent as he's been. Um, He's got to find a way to be much more consistent in that lineup and to be more of a power source because, uh, you know, this is a team that you expected to hit more than they've hit. And, uh, this is a team that's supposed to be winning on offense and supposed to be winning slugfests and being able to outscore teams. They haven't done that so far this year, and they're not going to do it unless they get Hoskins, Real Muto, and Harper all going right now um, and all hitting and hitting for power. I mean, what Odubel's done has been tremendous. What you know, Ronald Torres has done, and we'll get more to him in a second, has been unbelievable. And where would this team be without... 
Ronald Torres. I mean, you've gotten production from guys like Luke Williams coming up. Alec Bohm has three more hits. He's starting to come around. Andrew McCutcheon, a multi-hit game. And you just hope that this team is finally starting to turn a corner offensively. Uh, because they really need to. And I mentioned Torres there. And Joe Girardi mentioned him earlier in the cut talking about Hoskins. Here's Girardi just on what Torres has meant to this team. Yeah, I mean, I was I was talking with our with our Sam and our coaching staff about you know how a lot of our young players have done, but Torres has been great as well. I mean, he's just done a really nice job of producing and solidifying shortstop. Um, and Mayton did it before that, um, so we've been really pleased with Toe, and and that's why you know we've played him there so much because he does so many things right. He just you know. People say, why do you love Torres? He's a ball player. I mean, that's what he is. Um, if you go back when he was a little boy, his dad was playing winter ball, and, and he was going with him all the time, watching and, and bat boy and, and doing those type of things. So he really understands the game. And I trust him, you know, wherever I put him. I don't ever worry about him being prepared wherever I put him. I could put him, at, you know, third, short, second, first, left, center, right. And I know he's prepared. And um, that's a luxury for our manager. And um, – I don't know where we'd be without. You know, um, you know, he does. He plays a good shortstop, and he'll get hits for you here and there. But uh, do you, are you supr- ever surprised when he kind of pops one like that, like yeah. in the sixth inning? Yeah, I. You know, I've I've seen every one of his home runs. Um, so every once in a while, you know, he gets into one, and um, he hit the ball extremely well today. I think he had three RBIs, um, some big hits for us. Uh, but I mean, you don't expect him to hit a lot of home runs, but he's got two. And hey, you'll take homers wherever you can get them, especially when you're a team that's kind of struggled to hit them this year. And uh, Torres has just been huge. As Joe Girardi said, he's not a guy you're going to expect to hit a lot of homers, but to be hitting 278, um, to be getting on base consistently, like the numbers aren't overwhelming, but for an eight-hole hitter, a guy who's supposed to be a utility guy, He's been so important to this team. And without Didi, without Gene Segura, he's obviously going to keep playing a lot more. It's such a luxury to have a guy like Luke Williams who you can move all over the diamond, gives Girardi so many options, you know, late in games to mix and match with different players, not have to worry about losing a ton on defense because Luke Williams can play every position in the in the lineup. And... It's been encouraging to see this team stay above water here. Now, I am not as optimistic long-term as a lot of people are that they can really get on a run, can go to the playoffs, because uh, you know I, I don't think they're deep enough. I don't know if the lineup... I, I, I need to see this lineup do it consistently. And the next six weeks are going to be critical to see how aggressive Dave Dombrowski and Sam Fold can be at the deadline. Like, as of now, I would not be ultra-aggressive going out and adding to this team because I don't think the team's good enough. But that could change in a matter of six weeks. If they can go on a run, if they can get within a couple games of the division, um, and they can establish more consistency in that lineup uh, until D.D. and Gene Segura get back, and then he could really be rolling again, that would be big. But one of the guys you're going to need to do that is Aaron Nola. And Zach Wheeler, we talked about, Zach Wheeler is just lights out. Zach Wheeler has been 
tremendous. I mean, I, I had Jack Fritz on the other night, and Jack was saying he thinks Wheeler's the best Phillies pitcher in the last 20 years. Now, that obviously depends on how you view it. Like, uh, as far as most dominant, it's obviously Roy Halladay. But, like, if you're taking longevity into account or accomplishment into account, then you're obviously going to put Cole Hamels over him. You're going to put Cliff Lee over him. But as far as just a singular season, I mean, I think he's got a point. Uh, what, what, What Wheeler has been this year has been tremendous. And while we were dependent on the lineup, we were also dependent on this one-two punch in the rotation. And this is where I am really concerned moving forward because that one-two punch was dependent on Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola carrying this team. And Aaron Nola has been a a massive disappointment this year. You know, an ERA now over four. In this game on Saturday, goes two and a third, gives up six runs on six hits, gives up two home runs, and... This has always been the problem with Nola that I think a lot of us have chosen to ignore is he's never had like elite stuff. He's not a guy that's going to blow you blow you away with his power. He's not a guy who is going to have this nasty kind of movement where he's unhittable at times. He needs to be precise. And when he's not, he's going to get hit around. And here was Joe Girardi on the struggles that Nola had on Saturday. Too much in the middle of the plate. I, I think, you know, when, when you when you look at it, um, you know, we used to talk about, you know, we jokingly would say the other team had a magnet, was drawing the ball back to the middle of the plate. And that's what happened today. He just made mistakes in the middle. And this club has hit the ball, the ballpark all year, and um, they continue to do it. And when you hear Nola after the game, he seems to be struggling to find answers, and it's concerning. Because if this team's going to accomplish anything, you desperately, desperately need Aaron Nola to be a huge part of it. And when you look at, at Saturday, it's interesting because two guys who have struggled lately that you absolutely need to turn this thing around are Reese Hoskins, and Aaron Nola. You need Hoskins to get hot in the rotation. You need Nola to, or you need Hoskins to get hot in the lineup. You need Nola to be a, a factor in that rotation. He doesn't have to be the ace. Forget about the ace conversation. He is not the ace. Like, Zach Wheeler's the best pitcher on this staff. It's not a question anymore. It's, it's, it's honestly, now looking at it, ridiculous that we debated it to begin with. But, Aaron Nola needs to be better if this team is going to get to the playoffs, if they are going to truly accomplish anything. Uh, So the Phillies, hopefully they can, you know, kind of win this game on Sunday, get a split in these two West Coast series, coming back home, and then you can kind of reevaluate things here. Uh, As it stands right now, they are four games back of the Mets in the NL East, 34 and 34. They are very fortunate in terms of this uh, division that was supposed to be one of the best in baseball. I thought it was going to be. Hasn't run away from them. Um, they are getting through a couple, you know, really critical weeks of their schedule, all things considered. 
um, ahead right now. And then after this game, they have a two-gamer at home with Washington, then four big ones in New York against the Mets, and then the schedule lightens up a little bit, uh, at least for a few weeks before you take on San Diego and the Cubs and, and the Red Sox. So the Phillies desperately need to get going, and it's going to be on Aaron Nola uh, to really do so and Reese Hoskins to do so in the lineup. So a good sign offensively with Hoskins coming around a little bit, but again, Aaron Nola's struggles continue, and uh, I am not encouraged whatsoever by the way that he's pitched. He has not been good this year. He has struggled mightily, um, and for what the Phillies expected him to be, and for what the Phillies need him to be, they're not going to the playoffs unless Aaron Nola improves uh, dramatically. Um, but uh, the Phillies, hopefully they can get this win on Sunday and get rolling a little bit here. Uh, when we get back, I will recap uh, our preview for Game 7. Um, so we will do that when we return. And also, we'll preview the Western Conference Finals getting underway Sunday afternoon. A very intriguing matchup between the Clippers and the Suns of the teams remaining. Clippers, Suns, Sixers, Hawks, and Bucks. Teams without established playoff success. So we will get to that when we return. That's coming up next. Uh, I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for a little bit longer here. Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for another segment here. In the final segment of the show, I did want to play uh, my hour with Howard Eskin on Thursday night as I filled in for Joe Giglio um, and we were riding with the King on Thursday night. I always love co-hosting with Howard, especially on that kind of night, following that kind of performance. Uh, It was a really fun hour, so I want to replay that for you in the 5 o'clock hour uh, this morning. Uh, But as we kind of wrap up the show here tonight, you know, we've obviously been talking about Game 7 all night long, and Uh, You know, I wanted to preview it one last time here, you know, for everybody just joining, everybody who didn't get to listen earlier on in the show, because this is a monumental moment for this organization. When you look at what this means, you know, I think it is probably the biggest game for the Sixers in the last 20 years. You know, the, the only one that, that really comes anywhere close is the, the Kawhi shot, the 2012 Game 7 against the Boston Celtics. In the grand scheme of things, that didn't really matter a whole lot. Like, if the Sixers win that series, it would have been fun. They would have been in the conference finals. But let's face it, they had no chance in hell of beating that Miami Heat team that went on to win the title. None. I mean, they would have gotten rolled in that series. They were very fortunate to have even gotten to a Game 7 against Boston. It it just, it was not going to happen. The Kawhi shot, you can look at that game for different reasons, was huge. It had had far-reaching effects um, in terms of what it meant. Like, talked about it earlier. If, If you win that game, it could change the history of the Sixers, it could change the history of the NBA, or it could have changed very little. We'll never know. Like, if the Sixers win that game, maybe they beat Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals, but there's a chance they lose that series as well. Um, You know, maybe they go to the NBA Finals, Golden State's beat up, maybe you win that series, then who knows what happens with Jimmy. I mean, if the Sixers had won a title, I can't imagine Jimmy Butler would have 
bolted for Miami, but you know, who knows? Maybe then you keep Jimmy, maybe then things go a lot differently, but you know, that could have been a moment that would have altered things moving forward. But this game to me will show more about what this team is truly about at its core. Like that series, that game, that was a tough loss. It was heartbreaking in many ways, especially the way Kawhi's shot went down. But it wasn't a series that you felt like you blew. Like when we look back at it, and yeah, I think game four was a huge moment. And Joel Embiid um, not being healthy enough for that game, whatever was going on with him, the stomach illness, whatever, he didn't look good that day. And that's really where the Sixers lost that series. But going into that series, that wasn't a series the Sixers were necessarily expected to win. It was a series we thought they could win. But Toronto was favored. Like, Toronto was the better team. Toronto was the team with home court advantage. And while the pain of that loss stuck with you, I don't feel like it was looked at as, like, this this horrible choke job from the Sixers. This is different. This is a series that you just should not lose. Like, this series shouldn't even be going to a Game 7 right now. Like, I look back at this series, and in this series, Game 4, Game 5, those are legitimate missed opportunities. Like, this series should have been over in 5. Game 1, I look at, and, you know, Atlanta came out, they shot the lights out in the first half, Sixers had a bad approach early, but storm back in the second half. The Game 1 loss is kind of easier to take. Game 4, Game 5 are inexcusable. And if the Sixers end up losing a Game 7 to this Atlanta team on their home floor tomorrow night, it is going to be one of the most embarrassing single-game losses and one of the most embarrassing series losses and disappointments in the history of this city. And this game, to me, is a lot about finding out what's at the core of this Sixer team. You know, this is the kind of game why you brought Doc Rivers in, an experienced coach. And, you know, we'll see if the Doc playoff failures were a product of his players on the floor or whether they're a product of him. Because Doc Rivers is a great coach. You find a way to... Put your team in a position to win this game. If Joel Embiid is the star player that we all hope and we all think he is, Joel Embiid will find a way to get this game for his team. And yeah, they're going to need other contributions. Joel Embiid can't do it himself. I mean, just look back at what happened on Saturday night in Brooklyn. Kevin Durant did everything he could. He had nothing left at the end because that team had nothing. They had Kyrie Irving, who was out. James Harden playing on one leg, playing with a serious hamstring strain as it was revealed after the game. Uh, Kevin Durant got no assistance whatsoever. But this is a roster on the Sixers' side that is better than Atlanta Hawks' roster. They are. They should be the better team. And it's going to tell you a lot about their core and a lot about what's inside. Because honestly, and I know we, we use these cliches and we make it about this stuff a lot, but 
this is a game where I truly do believe it's going to come down to who wants it more. Who is getting the 50-50 balls? Who is battling on the glass? Who is getting second chance opportunities for their team? That is where this game is going to be won or lost. And the Sixers need to find a way to do all the little things. You know, game six wasn't wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination. But the Sixers made the plays they needed to make at the end of the game. They got the stops they needed to get. They were able to do those things that they did not do in games four or five down the stretch. And the question is, can they do it again? I, as I have said all night, I am very, very nervous about this game. I have a, 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 a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen, and I think a lot of that comes back to the fact that this has been a wildly unpredictable series where it has been very hard to predict what will happen from game to game. This has been a weird series in terms of you have no clue what to expect quarter to quarter. I mean, game four and game five, you would have thought there's no chance at half the Sixers are losing that game. And for that reason, it is really difficult to project what's going to happen. But I will I will choose to believe in the Sixers in this moment. And maybe it's a, fool, a fool's errand. Maybe I'm being foolish in believing in this team. But I think they'll find a way to get the job done because they need to win this game more. The, the future of their franchise, so much of what they've built, And what they want to build moving forward comes down to what happens. And whether they get rid of Ben, whatever they do in the offseason, that's a conversation for another day. But as far as this team, with this core, and honestly, at this point, I don't even really count Ben as the core. He's become such a non-factor right now. This is about Joel Embiid. And this is about Joel Embiid as a leader and Doc Rivers as a coach. The Sixers need to find a way to win this game. Um, and I'll take them in a close one. But uh, it's it's really one of those games that's going to tell a lot about uh, the heart of this organization and the DNA of this team. So that's the, that's the Game 7 uh, preview tomorrow night. And I also wanted to preview real quick um, the... Clippers and Sun series that gets underway on Sunday afternoon. Now, I personally would have rather the Sixers had this time slot. You know, a 3.30 Sunday afternoon game I think would have been great on Father's Day. Um, Instead, the Sixers get the night game. And you'll have Suns and Clippers in the afternoon. And uh, speaking of guys who have been kind of playoff disappointments over the years and... I mean, they're gonna. He's gonna have to do it again. But Paul George in games five and six without Kawhi Leonard was able to step up big. And hey, if we're gonna mock him when he fails, you got to give him credit when he steps up. And Paul George has stepped up in a big way. Terrence Mann in game six, I believe, thirty nine points. Just a ridiculous night uh, as they beat the Jazz. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but that Jazz collapse was worse than the Sixers collapse. The Sixers' collapse was at home. That, in that respect, would make it worse. But for that to happen to Utah in an elimination game, 
to blow a 25-point lead to a Clipper team without Kawhi Leonard was astonishing. And you look at players moving forward here who I think you can maybe expect to get moved in the offseason or demand to get moved in the offseason. I think Donovan Mitchell's one of those guys. I mean, if you're Donovan Mitchell, I can't see how you would want to go back to Utah considering what they've put around you, considering the fact we already know he and Rudy Gobert do not have a very good relationship. Um, And that was before all the COVID stuff with them and and that controversy. They have never really gotten along very well there. And I think that's a name to keep an eye on as far as a player who could want to move on this offseason. But an impressive win for the Clippers. And they will now take on the Suns in Game 1. Now, Injury issues on both teams. Obviously nothing new in this postseason run. But Kawhi remains out indefinitely with this ACL injury. We don't know if he's going to be back at any point. They're not saying it's a tear. So I presume he he could return. But at this point, that looks very up in the air. For the Suns, and I don't know if Chris Paul is just like the unluckiest player we've ever seen or what it is, but he is out due to COVID protocol. I'm assuming that means he has COVID. He is vaccinated. So this, and these cases do happen. They happen with any kind of vaccine, but you know, it's rare. And for this to happen to Chris Paul of all people is just extremely bad luck. I mean, going into this series, Chris Paul or no Chris Paul, I think the Suns are the better team. And especially with Chris Paul, I think this would have been a Suns in five situation. Um, Now, I'm assuming that he's not going to miss too much time here. You know, obviously, we don't know at this point uh, when he had when he got it, how long it's going to take for it to get out of his system. I believe and I don't know whether the vaccine, you know, makes it a quicker turnaround process. I know it is quicker in in terms of uh, potentially returning from quarantine, but whether he can get back on the floor, I don't know when that's going to happen. But I'm assuming, you know, Chris Paul would miss at most three games here. They play Sunday, then Tuesday, then Thursday. I'm assuming by next Saturday, which would be game four, that you'd have Chris Paul back by then. And if that's the case... I still believe the Suns have enough to win this series. If the Suns, say they miss Chris Paul for games one and games two at home, if they can just get one of those games, I think they'll be in a good situation. I've been telling you all year um, that I love the Phoenix Suns. I said coming into the playoffs, I thought the winner of that Suns-Lakers series, regardless of who it was, was going to the NBA Finals. You know, I, I thought with when Anthony, when Anthony Davis was healthy, that those were the two best teams in the Western Conference. And I still believe that. And, you know, even without Chris Paul, if Kawhi's not on the floor for the, floor for the Clippers, Kawhi is the bigger loss. And that doesn't mean Chris Paul is, is not extremely important to that team. He is. But they still have Booker. They still have Bridges. They still have Aiton. They still have a lot of their pieces where they can overcome it, especially if Kawhi's not on the other side. Now, if Kawhi was healthy and Kawhi was playing and the Suns are without Chris Paul for a few games, that would change my thinking a little bit here. But I still like the Phoenix Suns. I think they get out of that series. Um, Chris Paul being out certainly makes it interesting. The Clippers 
must get at least one of these games on the road. But I still think the Suns get it done here. I, I, I honestly find what the Clippers have done to be pretty admirable. Um, and hey, you look at what they have done and what the Sixers have done. If the Sixers lose this series and the Clippers end up, you know, even if they lose the Western Conference Finals, just getting to the Western Conference Finals without Kawhi in the manner they did, I mean, it would be a massive indictment on Doc Rivers. And, you know, I don't think that's number one thing that's on Doc's mind right now. He's worried about winning the game for, for his current team. But Doc's going to take a, hundred, a ton of heat if the Sixers lose with what the Clippers have done. And it's going to be viewed, fair or unfair, that Doc was the problem in Los Angeles. So we'll see what happens. But I still like the Suns in that series. I think they got too much. Um, I don't really know who the Clippers stoppers are in this series. Like, Patrick Beverly gives you energy. He gives you intensity. But is he going to shut down Devin Booker? I don't I don't see that happening. Like, uh, inside, DeAndre Ayton, for a number one overall pick, you know, you probably would have hoped for, for more. But DeAndre Ayton's a really good player. And he really cares. And he really tries. And he's really important to that team. Um, And I think Phoenix just has too much. When you have guys like Bridges and Crowder, these are important players to have in a playoff series. And right now, I mean, I think the Suns are the favorite to not only win the West, I think they're the favorite to win the title. And uh, that's the team that I would certainly um, bet on right now if I need to in terms of winning an NBA championship. But... Uh, it should be an interesting series. I'll take the Suns in six uh, with this Chris Paul situation. Um, but that is the afternoon game tomorrow. It should be a nice little appetizer for Sixers-Hawks game seven tomorrow night. But coming up next, I'll let you hear my hour riding with the King Howard Eskin from Thursday night. That's coming up. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. That's right, we are riding with the King on a Thursday night. I am Tom Kelly, in for Joe Giglio, riding with the King, sponsored by Xfinity, the fastest internet in Philadelphia, and sponsor of our Xfinity X1 Lounge, Howard Eskin, the King, joining us on a Thursday night. And Howard, uh, I'm going to to have to admit you were right tonight. How you doing? That's hard for you. I'm doing. I'm doing great. Absolutely, never had a bad day in my life. Bad day for a lot of Philadelphia people. But you know, I didn't see that coming last night. But I saw who the Sixers are coming, and I knew what Ben Simmons was. He's a fraud. He's not a treasure. <laughs> I, I just that's fool's gold. I, it's it's a joke. It's sad. It's sad how. How he hurt, um, he hurt the feelings of Philadelphia people. He's not alone uh, today. Uh, they had a horrible day. Philadelphia sports fans had a horrible day. But Tom, I guess you yeah. were you were like big on on Benjamin, weren't you? you I were w- I was Howard, and you know, over the course of this year, later on in the season, 
um, I started coming around to your side. And especially in the playoffs, as we saw what happened in the first round. And we'll get into every aspect of that epic collapse last night. Because it was one of the most disgraceful moments in Philadelphia sports history. It, It was pathetic. But the one thing that I have always thought, and to, you know, um, my fault. I thought that Ben Simmons would correct the free throw issue. I've never thought the jump shot was going to be a significant thing as long as he could attack the basket, get to the line, and knock down the free throws. And as we watched that Washington series play out, it was evident that this was going to happen, that a team was going to resort to hack a Ben. It was going to work because he has no confidence he can knock those shots down. He hasn't worked on them enough, obviously, and here we are. And Howard, I will say, you were right about Ben Simmons. He did not improve in areas where he needed to improve, and he is killing this team offensively. And we'll look at Tobias and all this other stuff, but let's face it. This is about Ben Simmons right now. It really is. He has the softest numbers you know, all that triple-double nonsense that everybody got carried away with, it's so bogus. It is so bogus. L- last night, when you watch, uh, first of all, and I talked to people in the NBA, he's got real soft assists. Now, they've changed them from years ago, but everybody benefits from giving out assists, which they didn't used to give out years ago. So, okay, so we'll, let's move by that. He, the reason he's got soft assists, you watch Trey Young, uh, find open cutters and open people and not just on a fast break. And it's different. He, every NBA player has the skills to, to have some kind of open court vision. But Ben Simmons, the first two assists, and I think they were the only two ones, he, the only two he had in the second half, he basically handed the ball off to Seth Curry, who made two three-pointers, and that was those were assists. He goes to the basket, will not go to draw a foul, and throws it back out to somebody wide open at the three-point line who has to hit a three. That's an assist. They are soft. They are weak. His numbers are weak. Uh, and Doc Rivers should be ashamed of himself for demeaning uh, the media, and some of them are clueless, but not all of them. So I said some, not all. Uh, and and then demeaning the fans. Well, you just don't know basketball. You don't know basketball. If you want me to take Ben off the floor, oh really, really? Uh, okay. Uh, he is, uh, uh, and why he has to be uh, 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 the, uh, the the Ben Abler. Uh, he he. I don't think Doc Rivers has ever been a disciplinarian. That's why the players in uh, in Los Angeles with the Clippers really wanted to see him go because he didn't have the discipline that you needed with, and I don't know which players he had a discipline out there. I don't know all the stories, but that story I believe, and I could see he just, he's just soft. He's soft. Is he a good coach? Yeah, probably. Is he a great coach? Not a chance if you look at his playoff record. Not a chance. I. It, it's just... Uh, it's sad the way he just, yeah, Ben, you're okay. Yeah, you're great. You're a facilitator. You do, yeah, you're great. Yeah, be more aggressive. And everybody, I love, I love fans. And last week when I was on with Joe, and I think it was Thursday night, guy calls up and called me a hater. And I'm so tired of that. I was a hater. Well, I mean, you are a hater, Howard. Well, no, I'm not a hater. It's just <laughs> the reality is I'm a realist. I, I keep it for real, for real. 
And I asked the guy, and this was my final question to that caller, would you rather have James Harden or Ben Simmons? And they had a chance. I don't know how much of a chance, but you got to seize the moment. I don't care how many draft first-round picks you give. I don't give a damn. If you had James Harden, you'd be much better off. So the guy said, I'd rather have Ben Simmons. And that's when I said, Joe, I'm done. He's all yours. There's well, nothing more to talk about with this guy. And this is the problem, Howard. And you bring up Doc, and all you have to do is look at his playoff resume the last 10 years. His teams are soft. Like, this is nothing new when it comes to Doc Rivers' teams. They have leads in series. They have big leads in games. They give them back. And when you look at how he's handled Ben, it's inexcusable where, you know, he, like you said, he comes out, he demeans the media when Kevin Kincaid asks about whether he should be taken out in Game 4 against Washington. When we all saw this coming, we all knew what was going to happen last night, and now you're in a spot where you're down 3-2 in a series, Ben Simmons is completely lost, and you have not demanded him to improve in the areas that he needs to improve, and that's why this team's in this position. You know, here's the other thing that, that, that I don't like, but it's not just Ben Simmons, a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they give you those, they, they scream when they they dunk a basketball. How hard is it for a guy 6'10 to dunk a basketball? Uh, guy 6' guy dunk a basketball. So he gives you all that, and, they, you know, they're, they're all about themselves, and they're all about whooping it up and, you know, and, and, and just praising themselves. Uh, you got praising themselves. Ben Simmons named himself the defensive player of the year, which he was not because I think he's he might be good defensively, but he's not the defensive player of the year. And then Joel Embiid, the MVP, which he was not, uh, and he never was. But they, they're, they're so happy with themselves. But they got to – and I know – it's like, and Barkley said this last night, if you say things like this, you're like the old man yelling on the lawn. Well, that's not the case. Just go out and play the game. Just go, you know, when Nate McMillan came uh, to coach Atlanta, he told Trey Young, uh, you better cut back on a lot of that nonsense uh, that you do and just play the game. He still has a little bit of it uh, because that's what young guys are, but it's not over the top. And that's the problem. If I were Doc Rivers, I would tell every player on that team, no social media until the season's over. I, I know the union would complain. None. I want you to concentrate on basketball. I'm tired of seeing Ben Simmons show off his new car, a new car every three weeks. You know, I got $30 million and you don't. You don't so like I the can smoke. get a new car every, every three weeks. You don't like the smoke emojis coming out of the, the uh, smoke coming out of the like, nose, Howard? Come on. Uh, I don't like anything. I don't like anything. They're too worried about that nonsense. How about worried about, about, worried about holding a 25-point lead? How about worried? They're playing. The Sixers are playing. Uh, and Atlanta's not a bad team. But they're playing the worst team left in the NBA playoffs, and they're trailing in the series. It's mind-boggling that that happens. Now, I still think they're going to win on Friday night. I, I don't. I, I, I know it's a home game for Atlanta. I know all that. Uh, it's just something. About, the Sixers just don't have. You know, I'm going to show them the yellow brick road so they can find the wizard to get a heart. Uh, that's what they got to do. That's what Doc's got to do. Forget about all this other nonsense that he rolls out there. Uh, and it's just, I, I, I'm not a, Doc's a nice, a nice guy, Doc. You know, uh, Mark started to call him Glenn. And you know what? There is only one Doc in Philadelphia, and that's Julia Serving, in the reality of the thing. To demean the, the, the nickname Doc 
with Doc Rivers when you had Julius Irving, the doctor, uh, Dr. J. Uh, it's a joke. He's just, you know, he's not good enough with this team. you got to put your foot down. I don't care if they don't like you. I don't give a damn. You're still going to get your money. But maybe you'll get some respect out of these guys. And there's players on the team that there's always players that want to see discipline. But there's, you know, there's the superstars. And actually, let me rephrase that. There are players who think they're star players. Ben Simmons is not a star. He wasn't on the top three teams in the All-NBA team. Finally, finally, the voters have caught up with all that nonsense. Let me just break down all the things that he wasn't. He's not an all-star. He was not the rookie of the year. It was Donovan Mitchell. And all this hype and all this nonsense to build his ego up to think that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's the only player, the only player in the NBA that won't take a 13. Forget about a three-footer or a three-pointer. He's the only player that won't take a 13-foot jump shot. It's the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen for an NBA player. It is a total joke. No doubt about it. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. But you talk about that, Howard. And, you know, it makes it so much more difficult for Joel Embiid. And I know people aren't happy with the way Embiid played in the second half. And he didn't play great in the fourth quarter. I get it. But this is not about Joel Embiid. Like, Joel Embiid is a big part of the reason you had a 20-plus point lead. They had two guys score in the entire second half. You cannot survive like that. It's on Ben Simmons first and foremost. It's on, you know, you talk about Simmons saying how great he is, Embiid saying how great he is. How about Tobias Harris, who's saying all year, why am I not an all-star? Well, that's why you're not an all-star. Because well, he was never a an playoff all-star. game. I, I, right. I'll tell you this. I think Sabonis, and nobody even recognizes a guy from Indiana because they're so irrelevant buried in the middle of the country. He averaged a triple-double into the All-Star game with a 20-point average. Uh, and that guy is a player. But Trey Young, who would you rather have on your All-Star team? Trey Young or Tobias Harris? Trey Young. I mean, <laughs> really. I mean it's, it's a joke. It is a joke. These guys whining about be, because they're here and the coach will tell, you, tell them how great they are. Tobias Harris is a nice player. He's not a star. He's just a good. He's a good. Let's give him that. He's a good player. He not looked terrified. A star. He looked terrified last night. He looked yeah. absolutely terrified in the fourth quarter. Four points the entire game. Wouldn't take any shots. And and just pathetic. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Tom, are, you, are you pissed, Tom? Howard, I am infuriated with this team. And you know, you know, we've argued about Ben Simmons for years. How how long did I defend Ben Simmons for? And now I look like Too a nitwit. Long. I look like a dope. You were right. Well, you are a nitwit, and, well, and yeah. you are a dope. Right. Uh, but but now it becomes more evident <laughs> right. that you're a nitwit and a dope. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 215-592-9494. Let's get it started on the phones. Charlie in Jersey. What's up, Charlie? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Love Good. the show. Um, so I'm careful before I call into this show because, I'll be honest, I don't follow the NBA that much. So I've actually never called in talk about the Sixers. Um, I'm a huge Phillies fan. Talk about baseball all the time. Could watch, could talk to anyone about baseball. Know a lot about the sport. But I like to watch the NBA playoffs. My wife and I have been watching them. So I'm trying to sit there and explain to my wife why Ben Simmons is on this team. And I'm one of those fans that the previous show was talking about where how do you explain Ben Simmons to someone that's a casual NBA fan? It looks like I would look at them like an alien. I 
can't explain why he is a professional athlete in, in the NBA. And I think of myself as a very as a, as a smart guy, logical, and I can put things together. I don't understand. So can someone please tell me why he is on, not even just the NBA, but why is he on a playoff team? He is a distraction. He's not even contributing anything. I look, I, I don't understand basketball that well. I, I'll admit it. But I think I could at least put together that he's not a good player. Like, yes, he's an athlete. He's built. He's strong. What is he doing? I can't explain that to my wife. And she looks at me and is like, what is he doing? Why is he missing free throws? Do you know how pathetic it is that there were fans instructing him how to shoot a foul shot. And I know at that point we were probably up 20 plus and everyone was laughing, but do you know how pathetic that looks for our city? It, it was, and that, do you know how, like that's, that is awful. It, it was terrible players, charm. Yeah. And I appreciate the call. Thanks. And yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I, I'm going to give you an answer why he's on the team. Uh, they, they, uh, they, what the heck's going on What's going on there, uh, Howard? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. Something just, I guess. I got, Doc's trying I got to infiltrate by, the show here. I got ambushed by Doc Rivers. Uh, but he's on the team because they made the mistake when they drafted a number one. Brandon Ingram was the better. Brandon Ingram would be a much better player, and he'd give this team a chance to win. Just look at what he's done uh, and the way he's developed. So so they drafted him, and Daryl Morey doesn't have – he's got to grow a pair. He doesn't have the guts to move on because it's Daryl Morey, other than getting James Harden, and he was was the luckiest guy in the world because no other team had cap space when Oklahoma City had to trade him. Uh, back then. That's the only reason he got him. What other really good trades has he made? What trades has he made? What has he done? Now, I think he's a smart guy. I don't uh, I don't question that. But you got to have guts. you got to take chances. There's no reward without risk. And the fact that he was scared to death to trade Ben Simmons. Scared. He was scared like a little rabbit. Uh, you know, he has got to have guts. And he didn't. And that why is he on the team? Because at one point before Daryl Morey got here, the ownership says, "Oh, we can't, we can't trade Ben Simmons. He's a generational player. Generational, my ass. Uh, it, it, it's it's a joke." And then they didn't have the guts, and they've got to do it now. They've waited so long. I mean, you can trade him, but your trade value won't it won't be the same because some team will bury him somewhere on that team where he won't have to do, he won't be the point guard. He might be a, a, a power forward and play the four and maybe get some rebounds and he can get out on the break. But he just, but he won't be aggressive to the basket. I mean, people were ready to put up a statue when he was four for eight one night in a playoff game. Four for eight, 50%, and they're ready to put up a statue. And then he gets, oh, he scored 11 points in the third quarter. Yeah, and he scored seven the other three quarters. What it, the hell are you talking about? Uh, if he can't get to the basket, he can, he's just – and he doesn't care. You know, he, he says, I want to win a championship. I sh-. He doesn't care about being the best player he can be. And nope. he just accepts it because he knows – he's getting another contract after this one. He's getting another big contract. Uh, and he knows it. 
So he's set for the rest of his he's set for the rest of his life. And as long as he has LeBron, you know, covering cleaning up the mess with his the agency that he owns and his agent, uh, they'll always make sure he gets money. That's the reason he's on he's on the All Star teams. LeBron's pushed because I don't know if he gets a bonus for making the All Star team, but I do know uh, being the agency that represents Ben Simmons is owned in part by LeBron. Yeah, of course. Did he make sure that he's he's on the team? Right. It's a joke. And, it's a joke. Well, Howard, I think, well, like, if there's any competitiveness in Ben Simmons, how are you not just completely humiliated by what's happening? Like, like mm-hmm. Atlanta is is fouling you, putting you at the line time after time. And I thought the smartest thing Nate McMillan did last night was – Ben makes two free throws. He says, okay, I'm going to keep sending you a line because I don't believe you're going to make it. Like, if there is any kind of of will within him at all, he's got to look to improve now, right? Like, like if there is anything in there that is competitive whatsoever, he's got to look to improve. If he doesn't see it now, he never will see it. Well, I, uh, I don't think he can now. I, I think it's too far gone. What you see is what you've got. Uh, if he hasn't... He's what twenty five years old now. You haven't developed. You've played basketball for twenty years. Now he probably started as a five year old because his father was a basketball player. Uh, but you're going to tell me that uh, you haven't tried to do so many things. But because he was so big, I guess he could do things without developing a shot. And now he won't listen to coaches. Remember, he, remember he had his brother coaching him, and they let they let they let his brother coach him. Because if he said, you know, I'm tired of practicing, yeah, let's go. And they go. Uh, he just, they, they were facilitators in this for years. And now you can't, you can't reel it in. And you have a coach that's not, not strong enough to say, you know what, I'm not taking this. This is not the way it's going to go. And if you don't do the things that we need you to do to get better, number one, you're not going to start. And number two, I'm going to pull you out of games when you don't do it. Yeah. When Brett Brown was the first one, when and I re- remember before the game in the news conference, he asked him to shoot a three a game, and it took him a while. Uh, and then I said, Brett, well, well, he didn't shoot the three. If you run a play, and he doesn't, and he's open, and he doesn't shoot the three, and I don't even care about the three anymore. This is it, and that's like a fantasy land. But he doesn't shoot the three, and then you run it again, and he doesn't shoot the open shot again. Why wouldn't you take him out? He didn't have a response. Yeah, and it all you goes know, back. I mean, you remember that that preseason game last year where he shoots a three, and the crowd, you know, kind of patronizes him with applause. And the fact that he's never looked to improve is—it's just so frustrating, Howard, and it's frustrating for me because I did believe in him. I believed that he would understand that to reach his full potential, he had to improve on the offensive end. And the fact that he hasn't should be offensive to everybody in this city who supported him. Well, the thing that I wonder, and you, you have admitted you're wrong, uh, took as you painful, too long. But as painful, it always pains me to admit you're right, Howard. Not that I'm wrong. I'm wrong plenty. I don't like admitting when you're right. Well, yeah, I know. It, 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 you know, people can't stand that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm right. Yeah, quite a bit of the time, I would say well over ninety percent. But that, <laughs> well, I don't that, know that's about a, that. That's another issue. Yeah, they brought up a, a, a case with Jim Fergosi, uh, <laughs> and they said, "Well, Nick Lava, I was mad because Nick Lava was a friend." No, right. I, I, I was mad at me because I reported in spring training. He's a backstabber. He backstabbed Nick Lava. Well, Nick Lava was a bad manager, though. 
Well, he was a bad manager, but he backstabbed him to get the job. 16 games in the season, you fire the manager. And then he backstabbed the guy in Toronto, and that's what he was, and that's why Fergosi was mad at me. He had nothing to do with Nick Labor, but I was right with that too. But the thing is, the people that have defended him, like you, and then they call me a hater, how many of those people are still out there? I'm curious, how many of those people have you finally seen the light? Well, uh, the, the, the the person we have to check in on, Howard, is is Andrew Porter. I mean, if Andrew Porter oh, has he's, turned he's on hopeless. Ben Simmons, then we know it's over for him in this city. Well, yeah. do you think Andrew – now, he's still on uh, leave, right? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I believe so. He, he just yeah, had a baby had as well. A, he had a child. Maybe the, maybe the baby can kind of wake him up a little bit and tell him that Ben sucks. My baby uh, was disgusted by that last night, Howard. <laughs> he's spitting up everywhere watching Ben Simmons at the free throw line. <laughs> spitting up is a good thing. <laughs> can you see him when he's missing? those foul shots how many people uh, that weren't that weren't children were spitting up it was <laughs> or breaking their tvs or but you know if andrew porter is still a believer in ben simmons and i want to get his rear end too you know i want him to admit that he was wrong forget about saying that i was right I, you know, i'm beyond that it, too many people would have to say that you're too classy I, to brag about that yeah i am i am i'm not joe de camera so uh <laughs> I want to hear Andrew say, I was wrong. That's it. Uh, uh, well, I'll text Andrew and and see if he's finally turned on Ben. Uh, 215-592-9494. George, Chris, Terry, all you guys on hold. We'll get to you when we return. But we are riding with the King on an eventful Thursday night. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Joe Giglio, alongside Howard Eskin, right here, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Monitor your home Wi-Fi with Xfinity X-Fi. See who's on your network. Set curfews and more. For Phillies baseball, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Joe Giglio. On a Thursday night, we are riding with the King after an epic Sixers collapse as they trail the Hawks now 3-2 in their semifinal series. Riding with the Kings sponsored by Xfinity, the fastest internet in Philadelphia and the sponsor of our Xfinity X1 Lounge. Talking about Ben Simmons, um, talking about Doc Rivers and his failures, Tobias Harris, who was the invisible man last night. And a situation with the Sixers that... I think is really dire long-term. We'll get back to the phones in one second here, but Howard, I wanted to bounce this off you real quick because if I'm Joel Embiid today, I am looking around and I am infuriated. You know, he doesn't speak with the media after the game last Which night. Is wrong. It Which is, is wrong. It is wrong. He should, he should have done that. But you're looking around after this game and he looks at Tobias Harris giving him nothing. Ben Simmons giving him nothing. If the Sixers don't make massive changes this offseason – what are the odds that Joel Embiid just says, you know what, get me out of here? This is what guys do in the NBA all the time. Why would he be any different? Uh, I don't think he wants to leave. Uh, so, I, I, but I, I don't know what you'd get for him because you figure you got – he might have three years left. That's the way I look at it before he starts to get a lot more injuries. Uh, he's due for, uh, what, in one or one year? He's due for a super max contract. Not so next get... summer, the following summer, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's it's after it's next after next season, yeah. right? After tw- after uh, the twenty twenty three season, twenty twenty three off okay. season is when he's uh, well. Okay, so they yeah. got time, so they can figure that out. Uh, but he's not going to get a super max contract anywhere else. Uh, 
Super he gets one more year here. Right. And I don't know that they're going to give it to him. That that would be interesting. But he's got to get what he's got to say is you've got to make changes here. Uh, and it's not him. His agent's got to say it. But uh, and he's got he got to say, listen, you know, he's really upset. Uh, it's disappointing to him. I don't know. You can't say that he's only got a certain amount of years left because you want to get another contract right. at some point. But uh, I don't think he demands a trade. I think he de- he would demand that the Sixers make changes. Uh, I-, I actually think, uh, and everybody got all excited about trading Shake Milton and uh, 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 Thibel and uh, Maxi, and it doesn't matter. They're role players. They are role players. So if you have to trade them to get a star, they're not going to get – everybody says, oh, trade Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal. Well, why would Washington want to give you Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons? Well, you are could you throw kidding? in a bunch of picks and pick swaps and stuff like that. I mean, that, that stuff does happen. You look at some of the trades that have been made in recent years, you can get guys for that. Like like Houston well, didn't get – basically you're giving away – you're just giving away Ben Simmons. Uh, ben Simmons. It's, get, it's giving the picks. Right. And you just move Ben Simmons to get him out of here. Right. That's part uh, of it. So it's not – you're not going to get a lot – for Ben Simmons in terms of that. But whoever makes a, a trade, like uh, if Portland trades Lillard, they got to get at least two first-round picks. And if it's a good team, and you figure if he's going to a team that can use him to win, those picks aren't going to be great. So you get three first-round picks. I don't care if you're good. You find somebody in the second round. Look, Jokic was the 41st pick in the draft. Uh, and Draymond Green was a second-round pick. If you're good at what you do, you will find a good player. And it doesn't take a lot. It only takes one. The Sixers have had more misses in the first round than good ones. And then they finally hit, and they draft a guy like Michael Bridges, and they, and they trade him on draft night. It's unbelievable. And Michael Bridges is a, is, a, is a really good player in this league and has potential to be an all-star. I know. I know. It's, just, it's, it's pathetic, isn't it? But they got an, I guess they got another pick. It's all about picks. It's all about and I can't star hunting. That the was the star hunting draft. Oh uh, 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 yeah, he's the star. It's star hunting. Right, right. Uh, it's star hunting <laughs> with that New England accent. But the the, the problem the problem is, I don't like the word assets. All these people. What is an asset? What position does an asset play? You get a pick. Well, why do people? Oh, you got, you got all these assets. What did all these assets do for the Sixers? They still haven't gotten through the second round since this all started. Now I. Th- I don't know why, but I think they will. Uh, I don't know why, because but they're not they're not a championship team. Uh, no. We see that they're loaded with flaws. They're not a championship team, even in a year that everything's so messed up in the conference. Uh, but the West is still really good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but re- regardless of all that, it's just they're not going to win a championship. So they've got to do something about it, and. Uh, they got to make changes. I mean, hell, I thought their um, Seth Curry has done a nice job, but I thought they had a better bench with uh, with Ilyasova, with Redick. You know, you look at guys that were shooters. There was another foreign guy they had. I forget who it was. Who was a nice shooter? But you, they had better shooters coming off the bench. Uh, Shake Milton is uh, inconsistent. Thibault, defensive player, he might hit a shot here and there. 
Maxie's got good energy, but he they're all role players. Yeah. Uh, so you need more than role players if you're going to win a championship. Definitely. And they don't seem like a team uh, yeah. in the mix for that right now. 215-592-9494. Let's go to George in Happero. What's up, George? Hey, Tom. Hey, Howard. How you doing? Good. Uh, last night, uh, uh, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more, Howard. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, uh, hence, uh, three Father's Day gift, three kids uh, at the game, six hundred hours, seven hundred hours later, and uh, I I never uh, only you sit there and have the game lost in the last two minutes because no one wanted to rock. Um, I've never seen a more selfish player in my life. Okay, H- how about the players? How do you think they feel? You know, with Ben Simmons. I mean, ownership's got to wake up and and make something happen to get him out of town. You know, I'm going to tell you something about how the players feel. And this, I've seen this. It's a a new world. Uh, It's a new world. They never complain about the other guys because they're complaining about their money. And they don't want to do that. So they just they suck it up. Are they happy about it? That's really the point. Are they happy about it? No, they're not happy about it. But they never... Uh, they just, they never complain. They're all just, yeah, just as long as I get my money, I'm fine. And I, I think that's basically what it comes down to. Uh, that's the sad part uh, of this whole thing. It's just, he is what he is. He's, uh, if he hasn't gotten better yet, I can't see that happening. I don't think there's going to be a light that goes off. Uh, but I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. It's just, Thanks, they're, they're, they're stuck in no man's land. Yeah, and the, well, the thing about it is, and... I don't think Ben is a guy who doesn't care. Like, I honestly don't think he doesn't care. I think he really doesn't realize that he's got to get better offensively. And this is where the organization's at fault because they've led him to believe that he doesn't need to get better, whether it's Brett, whether it's Doc, whether it's, you know, the higher-ups in the organization all these years. Nobody has ever made it evident to him that he needs to get better on the offensive end to reach his full potential. No, and... um... They don't force them to get better. No. It's, a, it's a new. The players run the league, and that's the sad part. When you're te, when a 25 year old player, who has major deficiencies, major, is is protected by the head coach, and uh, the head coach kisses his rear end and talks about how great he is, and uh, when that happens, 25 years old's running your league. What, what is he going to do? Quit on you? Good. Then put somebody else in there. Hey, TJ, when they, in that playoff, when they put TJ McConnell in there uh, to play the point guard, that's the game they won when they played him more minutes because he was at least, a th- wasn't a good shooter, but at least there was the threat. And he ran the point position the way you need to run the point position. And the thing is, Ben's not only not gotten better, he's regressed. He's gotten worse. He was far more, you know, aggressive and active offensively his first year or two in the league, and that's what's really concerning and what I just don't understand what they have taught him and what they have told him he needs to really improve at. 215-592-9494. What do you got there, Howard? No, I said uh, that that's exactly the case. But, but I don't know that it's going to change. That, that's, that's the problem. As long as you let the players dictate what to do, and Doc Rivers can talk about, well, we got to do this and we'll, we'll be okay and – you can't say we'll be okay. You know, if these guys don't play the right way, we're not going to be okay. 
you know, you got to shake them up a little bit. Yeah. We're not going to be okay. No, and and they got to be better. Let's go to Chris in Phoenixville. What's up, Phoenixville? What's up, Chris? Hey, how you doing? Pleasure to speak to both of you. Thanks. First time, first time caller. That's so, uh, are you there? Yep. We're here. Yeah. So uh, I got uh, I got three kids who play college sports. So I've been in this situation where, you know, our teams have uh, you know been favorites and. And collapsed, and you guys are bashing. Uh, I'm listen. I'm not a Ben Simmons proponent. I think he's got like major flaws. Okay, but the problem is, is we're not playing together as a team. You know, we're focusing all, all putting everything on Joel. You know, Embiid, and we got other guys who aren't stepping up. I'm I'm more focused on our coach Rivers. Okay, and I'm really fired up about Tobias Harris. Turnovers, no boxing out, missing shots. So we're not playing together as a team where Atlanta, who's not as talented, is playing together as a team. So, look, Simmons got his warts. We all agree. But it's just a situation where Philadelphia right now, we're, we're, we're focused on maybe indeed other guys aren't stepping up. So that's my, that's my, two, my two cents in this whole, this whole collapse. It's, it's unfortunate, but if we don't come together as a team, we're not going anywhere. I got you, Chris, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't you know, know how I you don't can know how you, you rip still got to have players. Players win games. Uh, to, co- to come together as a team, it's just I, – I don't know what more they can do other than play better. Um, I, I don't – you well, got to you got to involve other people, but I, I don't know. And Doc Rivers said today – uh, and maybe he said it last night. I forget these Zoom calls all run together anyway. You know, we were playing a two-man game because Joel and Seth were playing so well. Well, that's his fault then to not involve other people. That's his fault if he thinks that's going to do it. But I think it was obvious that, and Capella was right, that that uh, Joel is, t- is gassed at the end of games. He's playing too many too many minutes for the amount that he can play. Now, there's guys that when Kevin Durant plays 48 minutes, that's just that's mind-boggling. But Joel can't play 38. He's a 33 to 34 minute player, and he's I think and I think he's gassed. I, I that's why you know 0 for 12 is different. I mean, there's more to it than that, and you can't always blame the knee. Meniscus is just it's just sore. It, it I don't know that it's. I mean, I had one, but I'm not a 280 pound seven foot player that runs up and down the floor but the reality is he was get the reason he missed two foul shots is i think he was just tired yeah i think he was just too tired he doesn't miss foul shots and i, think I don't know they would have changed the outcome but he doesn't miss foul shots no and i think he was gassed too but like i understand why he's gassed when he is getting nothing from ben and tobias you know and, and that's why i find it really hard to criticize Embiid today because when you have a situation where everybody wants him to post up. But, okay, he's in the post. When John Collins can play so far off Ben Simmons where they're basically doubling uh, Joel Embiid before he even gets the ball, like, like I don't know what you want him to do. And that's why he got shut down in the second half because Ben wasn't initiating the offense. Tobias was terrified to shoot. And well, they di- well, they you had two guys score. They time they double him because they don't have to cover Ben Simmons. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. I know. So get Ben Simmons, get him out of there. Well, that that's probably going to be the answer in the off season. Uh, let's go. Let's yeah. go to Terry and Brumall. What's up, Terry? Hey, Howard. Terry. Yes. Uh, 
you're right 93% of the time, okay? Not 90, 93. Okay. But Ben Simmons does not want contact. That's what's wrong. You know, he just doesn't want to get hit. Well, that's the whole point, because he doesn't want to go to the foul line. Right. Yeah, but imagine him as a wide receiver. How long would he last? A week? One hit? That's what's wrong. He doesn't want to get hit. I don't, but see, I, you're, you're talking about the physical part of it. He doesn't want to get hit because he doesn't want to go to the foul line. That's why no, when I, he drives, he drives to make sure he doesn't get close to contact and then kicks it out. It, right. It's just it, they're the weakest assists of any uh, major assist uh, player in uh, a player with major assist numbers I, I, in the NBA. I agree. Thanks, Terry. And, and yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think it's because of the physical part of the game. He just doesn't want to go to the foul line. I, I agree with you, Howard. And I you... could make more foul shots blindfolded than Ben Simmons makes with his eyes open. Yeah, no, no. And that is the problem. And that's always been his biggest issue is, you know, and we talk about the threes. We talk about the jump shots. And, yeah, he should get better at that kind of stuff. But I honestly think you could survive – without him improving in that area if he could just become a better free-throw shooter. Now, I, I don't know why he's regressed to this point because he's never been good at it. He's also never been this bad. He's shooting like 32%, I think, in this series. Uh, it's really, really troubling. You know, he yeah, he is shooting 32%. Can you imagine that? Uh, think about that. That is mind-boggling that a player in the NBA – Shoots 32% from the foul line. Well, Howard, we mentioned him in the first segment, and we do have the final Ben Simmons supporter in Philadelphia joining us now, Andrew Porter. 94WIP.com joins us. What's up, Andrew? What's up, guys? Hey, how are you? (laughs) Great to hear from you. How's the president of the Ben Simmons fan club? He's he's having a rough day, but... uh... You know, we lost some members, but uh, we're still we're still going strong. Wait a he's Someone having a rough day. He's having a rough day in the playoffs. He's shooting thirty-two percent from the line. He takes no shots in the fourth quarter. He's he's invisible in most most of the second halves. He is a farce to call him an all-star. He's not on the All NBA team, which is finally somebody did something right. He was never the Defensive Player of the Year, even though he voted himself. He gave himself the award. Uh, what is good about Ben Simmons, there, big guy? Well, I mean, there's a lot of good things about him. First what? of all, he is—he's a three-time All Star in four seasons. I don't—I no, no, don't no, think he's the All Star. It's, it's a fraud. It's a fraud. Oh, it's a fraud. He's the okay. one fraud that gets in fraud. Okay, uh, who would you rather yeah. have on your All Star team, Trey Young or Ben Simmons? It doesn't matter. I'm just. I'm no, just no, saying, I asked you a question. I, I asked you a ben question. Simmons. Ben Simmons. I think uh, Ben okay. Simmons is a better hey, player. Tom, he's all yours. He's yeah, all yours. Uh, Andrew, you've. I, I got to tell you, you've lost me. Uh, ben has <laughs> lost me in this playoff run, in this series. Uh, the, it's the free throw shooting. Like, like you cannot yeah. survive without him being shoot. aggressive on the offensive end. You can't survive that way, and it's killing the entire offense. You know, when you I, get I, into the playoffs, they're not all going to let you just sashay right down the lane to the basket. That's not what works. It, and we've seen that in the past in the playoffs, the regular season. You can go right to the basket, and he can smug to the camera, and when he dunks a ball, boy, that's real talent, dunking at 6'10". Give yeah. me a break. You know, <laughs> it is a joke. He's the only player in the NBA 
that won't take a 13, 13 feet, forget about a three-pointer, won't take a 13-foot jump shot. It is embarrassing. It's an insult. And you are a disgrace to still not resign as the president of the Ben Simmons fan club. Benjamin is a fraud. Can I get a word? Sure. Go, go I mean, ahead, Rocha. First of all, I'm, I'm convicted in my opinions. I'm not going to change my opinion based on one game. Obviously, his free throw shooting has been putrid, and that's a problem. But he's been the same player his entire career. You know, we, we know what Ben Simmons is. Nothing has changed um, except for, like, he's, he's in this – He's in this free throw slump, and it's become mental. But other than that, he is who he is. I mean, he's a great all-around player, and he's not a good scorer. He's bad in the half-court offense. He's bad at shooting. We know he doesn't shoot threes. We, we know all this stuff. He averaged a triple-double in the first round. He, guard, he guards the best player. He guarded Bradley Beal. He guards Trey Young. He guards one through Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, 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 stop. I can't yeah. let this go on any longer. <laughs> he doesn't always guard Bradley Beal. He, yes, he um, half at least fifty percent of the time he doesn't guard the best scoring guard uh, from the other he's team. Gu- he's guarding Trey Young, who's ten inches shorter than him. He, no yeah, but he didn't. He, he didn't guard that. him the first. He didn't guard him the first game. And Doc Rivers, he, he was he forced to make that. When they, when they you know, won. he did a hell of a job last night. What did Trey Young score? 39 Thirty nine. Thirty nine. Yeah. Night. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, Trey Young's still going to get his points. The best. Okay. So don't give me about his defense. You're a phony. You he's are a phony all, Ben a two, Simmons lover. Two-time All NBA First Team defender. Like it's not like no, it's not like a, a lie that he's a bad defender. Like oh, he's that's obviously great. a good that defender. That is just great. See, all like right. you're you're not you're not conceding. I, I understand. Like the, you the say, we know what he is team. all these years. He is yeah. what he is. But they haven't won in the playoffs all these years. Yeah, but it's not because of him. There's a, there's also oh, he, he helps them win. I, like, if, if you think. Do you think he doesn't help them win games? Like, should they play George Hill over Ben Simmons and just? Well, George him? Hill was that Daryl Morey ought to he ought to resign too after I'm that. I'm just trade. saying. I'm just saying. Anybody like, should they play any a replacement level guard? Should they play Shake Millen over Ben Simmons? Like, he clearly is a valuable NBA player. Well, they got rid has... of the other play. Would you, would I play Shake Man, uh, uh, Milton? I'd rotate oh. it between Milton and Maxie. Well, Doc, Doc literally did play Shake Milton with three and a half minutes left yeah. over Ben because he got played off the floor. Like, that yeah, did happen the last free, night. The free that's a massive is issue. That's an issue. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's a mental issue right now that's happening currently, but it doesn't right mean now? Ben Simmons is a right bad now? player. Yeah, he's not a 32% free throw shooter for his career. He's 60%. No, he's not. He, he this year he finally got to sixty percent. He wasn't sixty percent. Do you okay, know what 65. he's shooting? He's Do you know 32. what Benjamin is shooting three feet uh, or beyond three feet from the basket? Do you know yeah, what he's not, shooting? Not good. But but what about oh. his? That's not his strength. His his weakness. What is, is his strength? What is uh, his strength? His strength is his athleticism. The fact that he's six eleven, two two eighty, and can do a lot of things but, on the court. Well, there's a valuable. lot of guys that are six eleven that can handle. No, there's not. Hey, Tom, Tom. Yeah, I, I, Andrew, a- a- Andrew, uh, we, we do got to run in a minute here, but I appreciate you calling in, and I enjoyed the, the banter with take, you guys. Take care no of the problem. baby, and when the baby spits up after another missed foul shot, you clean it up. <laughs> all right, all right. Andrew take Porter, 94WIP.com. We, we love Porter, um, but yeah, – he's, he's so – he won't let go. I, I I have come around to your side, Howard. I mean, and that's the problem is, yeah, he's athletic. Yeah, he's got the, the body type and everything. But if you're not so going to utilize it, right, if you're not going to utilize it and get to the free throw line 
it, it doesn't prove to be very you know, There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that are athletic, but if they can't play the game the way it needs to be played, what good is it? It's like a pitcher that throws 100 miles an hour, but he either throws balls or he throws it down the middle of the plate. What good is that? No. Uh, it, it, it's just, don't tell me he's athletic. You know how many, almost everybody in the NBA is athletic. Yeah. I mean, you get six, seven foot guys that are dribbling up and down the floor. Uh, Giannis is athletic, so but he's a star player, and he's a you know and, obviously he's a much better player than Ben Simmons, and they're pretty much the same size. When Giannis is having his problems in the playoffs right now too, and we'll see if he can survive in that series tonight. But Howard, uh, it's been fun. What is your prediction for Game Six? You believe the Sixers are still going to bring this thing back for a Game Seven? Yeah, and I don't know why. I'm just, uh, I just can't bring myself to think that this team can can screw it up another night. I, I just Atlanta. I thought Atlanta was better, but they're not bad. Um, even when the Sixers get up, you got to hang on for dear life. Yeah, I think they're going to win, and don't ask me why, because <laughs> I can't tell you with the the heartless guys that they have on that team. Uh, it, it's just they have some good they have some good players, but if you're going to let uh, the king of the heartless uh, handle the ball most of the time, you're in trouble. Well, uh, we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But Howard, it was fun hanging with you for an hour, and once again, uh, you were right. I was wrong. I'm a dope. I'm a nitwit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you you are a dope and you are a nitwit. Oh, sounds Congratulations. good. Congratulations. <laughs> that is Howard Eskin. We've been riding with the King. Riding with the King, sponsored by Xfinity, fastest internet in Philadelphia, and the sponsor of our Xfinity, X1 Wow. Well, that was my hour from Thursday, riding with the King, Howard Eskin. And I always like to... Uh... Like to let you listen to that if you didn't get to hear uh, the first time I was on with Howard. I love uh, co-hosting with Howard, so uh, happy to fill in for Joe Giglio the other night. Uh, and that was the day after Game Five, and you know a lot of it remains the same. I still have very little confidence in Ben Simmons. Um, this is still going to come down to Joel Embiid versus Trey Young. The Sixers are going to need to get other contributions, uh, but Joel's going to have to carry the load here, and. Uh, you know, this is going to be a tough game. I think the Sixers win because the Sixers need to win. Like, and I, I, I honestly have very little feel for this game. I've had very little feel for this series. Um, you know, every game, with the exception, I believe, game two, going into the game, pretty much every prediction I've made has you know, not been correct. I picked the Sixers in game one. I picked the Hawks to win game three. Um, you know, I picked the Sixers in four and five, and I, I thought the Sixers were done after they collapsed in game five. But uh, here we go, game seven, um, and I'm going to take the Sixers because I think the organization, so much of this organization and what they built towards hinges on this game. And they need to find a way to get it done. They need to find a way to win Game 7 on Sunday night. But I'll be back in tomorrow. We'll talk about all of it. Uh, But have fun watching Game 7. Try to stay somewhat relaxed. It's going to be a stressful night. Um, But hopefully we will be a fun one. Hopefully it's a celebratory show when I'm back on the air filling in for Big Daddy Graham tomorrow. So thank you to Dan Wilson for producing tonight. I'll talk to you then. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.